Hey guys, welcome to the first episode of the Nonpartisan Report. If you're listening to us for the first time, thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch video clips from our show. Also follow us on Instagram to receive updates about our upcoming episodes. Since this is our first episode, I just wanted to briefly introduce ourselves and introduce the concept that we're aiming for with this show. We wanted to start a political talk show that goes over the most trending political news every week in a nonpartisan fashion. Ryan and I are millennials, and we've noticed that the political climate is becoming increasingly more tense and polarizing, especially with people around our age. Both mainstream media and popular online news sources have been fueling animosity between liberals and conservatives. We don't hold allegiance to any political party. And there are some things that we agree with from both liberal and conservative viewpoints, and there's some things that we disagree with from both viewpoints. We want to constructively criticize ideas or people that we don't agree with instead of just ridiculing them or dismissing them. We consider ourselves open-minded and we like to form our opinions by honestly analyzing both sides. We think that if you strongly believe something, you should be able to defend your ideas without demeaning the opposite side. We want to create an environment where people with completely opposite views can learn from each other or even find common ground instead of just fighting. We think that there's too many people that label themselves as liberal or conservative, so they completely adopt all the opinions that is attached to the label, and then they completely dismiss any opinion that goes against whatever they label themselves as. Uh, So we see a lot of closed-mindedness on both sides, and we hope that our show can open some minds and bring people together. We want undecided voters especially to have a source where They can get all the facts from all sides, and we want to empower people to make their own opinions rather than just blindly subscribing to an ideology. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think a lot of people feel this way, that neither political party in their entirety of like the, the catalog or their platform of what they're trying to offer really is the the goal you know there's no it's not like if we plug and play like oh if we all just start following a conservative ideology like everything will get better or or the other way around um i think that more often than not like sometimes you want a liberal quote unquote like so-called liberal policy and sometimes you want the so-called conservative policy and i i think that there's better ways of understanding politics and what we can do to organize our societies than through this sort of like binary Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal divide. Yes. I think there's much more richness in the decision making um, that could be happening. And so we're just here to explore that. You know, it's not the bipartisan report. We're not here to be fair to both parties. We're here to be nonpartisan. We are here just from the outside angle. Um, We're not trying to say, oh, this party's doing well, that party's doing bad. It's just, you know, Mm -hmm. it's going to kind of look that way because we are where we are. The Republicans are in power and the Democrats are going to try and get it, wrestle it back from them in a few months here. So, And of course, everybody has biases, but we are proactively um, going to try to not put yeah this and i mean we're going to be working it out here in real time mm-hmm. in and me and you, you guys, don't so yeah you know, leave a, notes in the comments for us too yes i mean me and him don't agree on every issue either so you'll hear us you know debating them as well but but today's 
first episode is supposed to be about the debates. Yes. So, so Marwa, let's, uh, let's, I guess the best way to introduce the debates is just to introduce where we are kind of politically in general right now, in case someone clicked on this without knowing anything of what's going on and they wanted like an intro, I guess. Um, you know, Trump's been president. People are not happy about that at all. And so, you know, a lot of people have taken advantage of the chaos and jumped into this uh, I mean, democratic some debate. people are really happy about him being president. Some people are really happy about that. You're right. Um, but the, the Democrats are very the Democrats much not happy not about happy. that. And there's, there, I think uh, before this cutoff at the debate, um, as of debate time, there was like uh, almost 30 candidates who had come out and started like an official campaign. Um, I think it's like the most so in history, right? Yeah, and I mean, the Republicans had a lot last time around, too. I think they they had more than 12, 15, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so what they did was they split up 20 candidates, essentially made what ended up being the cutoff. The cutoffs were essentially you had to have 65,000 individual contributors. It didn't matter how much they donated, even if it was just a dollar. You had to get 65,000 people to donate to you. And I think you had to show up in some polls like you had to have like some good polling or something like that right. um so now we have 20 democratic candidates and they all fought it out on stage last week and we're gonna go over it with you we're gonna go over the winners the losers uh the cringe fest um that just happened any, everything that was noteworthy about it mm -hmm. that we thought mm -hmm. um and we're yeah. just gonna really focus in on the issues that they brought up and the promises that each candidate made and um, kind of go through what sets them apart from everybody else. So I'm. Uh, do you want to talk about this graph that you made? Yeah. Do you want to bring it up? Yeah. What we have. What we're looking at right now is uh, a graph that we had kind of custom made. Um, we had watched the debates a few times, and we wanted to make a note of how many questions the moderators were giving to each of the uh, 20 candidates. And so we've got that here, and then uh, on this y-axis, we have the what we're calling the online search delta. And that is essentially, we're looking at how many people looked up the candidates on YouTube and Google 48 hours before and 48 hours after. And um, so we put the number of times people looked up a candidate after the debate on top of how many times they looked up a candidate before the debate. Mm -hmm. And so the number, so essentially it should have come out if you did well and people liked you, your you would have risen in the search results mm -hmm. reliably compared to what you were getting before. And if you had a bad debate, you would have less or mm -hmm. you wouldn't have as much. And so that's what we're trying to measure here. We're trying to measure. So we're looking at the number of times that people got questions asked. From the moderators. From the moderators. And we're looking at the online search um, numbers so that goes up that way and then the number of the moderator questions is down here and then um, the top what is the top so the y-axis is our online search delta it's right. how many people looked up a candidate or how many more people oh, looked up, up a candidate there, that's the title up that's there, just right? the title <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was an access. Look at graphs. No, I'm bad at math. Stop. No, I'm just kidding. No, I know how um, to look at graphs. Anyway, yeah. So, I don't. I'm not sure where we should really start with this. So we can see immediately that 
there's only really a few candidates that had a really good night mm-hmm. um, at the debates. Mm-hmm. So, and, and those three that kind of stood out according to this variable, not that it's that there's others that don't matter, like donations and things like that. Mm-hmm. But what we're looking at is Marianne Williamson, Julian Castro, and Kamala Harris all had phenomenal nights. So according to our metrics here, there's about 20 times-ish more people who started looking for each of them after the debate mm-hmm. than before the debate. So they could have been however popular before, but they are having like about 20 times the popularity surge because of this debate. Right. So and at the if you want to define who won the debate, you would kind of you would want to go by these standards. Yeah, that's the go, closest. You'd go by something like this, yeah. I would think. Um, you know, maybe there's a better metric or something like that. You could look at things like um, the staff size, like how many people are volunteering, visiting the actual websites, but as far as like public data that you know, anybody could really go and look at and have access to um, you know, my day job is being an analyst, so uh, I, it just took me a couple hours to put this together. NBC came out with a news article saying uh, the day after the debate with Tulsi Gabbard that the online polls are not reliable because online trolls mm-hmm. um, went on a rampage. Yeah, I heard I heard some Russian trolls apparently were uh, were not Russian actually. Um, oh, they were just regular trolls. They pointed to the website 4chan and said that they were responsible for skewing Always. they said 4chan was responsible for skewing the online polls in favor of Tulsi Gabbard because 4chan really liked Tulsi Gabbard. Well, I mean that is kind of represented here as well. Um, you know, we talked about the three that really made it big, but Tulsi Gabbard is sitting at the top of ev- the pile of uh, where is she? I don't everybody see her. else. She's here. Oh, there she is. She only got six questions compared oh. to, which is, you know, on the low end, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's higher, even above people that we thought would have great performances like Bernie Sanders and um, stuff like that. But I think, I think it's interesting that she's down here and she got so little questions asked about her. Joe Biden is all the way over here. He had the most talk time, the most questions, Mm -hmm. but he is really low. Um, He's on the same. Well, we have a different graph that'll show the total like number of times they talked, but this is the number of times just the moderators called on them. So Mm -hmm. Joe, you, we would say got the most support from the moderators. Oh, but he didn't get the most talk time. Um, I think the, the, I have to see what the graph will show, but, um, you know, so Joe got the most support from the moderators. Mm -hmm. They were always feeding, he's a front runner. It is a little bit expected that they bring him in, but Mm -hmm. it did, it does feel like they kind of were holding his hand a little bit. Mm -hmm. I got that sense. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he didn't, he's behind, he's lower than people like, uh, Tim Ryan, who I didn't, who had an okay performance. It wasn't bad, but. Um, you know, she he got smacked down by Tulsi, but uh, you know, I he think, still came out higher than Joe Biden. I think he personally got smacked down by Kamala Harris. They were in different debates. Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. Oh, oh, Joe Biden. You you're saying he got smacked down by Kamala? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, per, with the um, a couple of times too. She wasn't pulling any punches, mm-hmm. and I mean, we can go over that later on when we bring up the rest of the debate. But yeah, as but, you can see. 
Kamala and uh, Julian Castro did the best. Um, I definitely, while watching the debates, thought Kamala knocked it out of the park. I never really took her seriously as a candidate because, you know, we live in California and she... She's been our top cop. Yes. And so we stopped paying attention to her. Right. Uh, So we... Um, aren't really fans of her, but I thought she did amazing during the debate. I thought she was a really good speaker. I thought she got her issues across and she really made herself seem like a progressive candidate. She came across as pretty presidential. Presidential and progressive. At one point when everybody was just trying to desperately and kind of it was kind of gross. They were all just like trying to shout and get whatever they could across. Mm-hmm. And Kamala was, I, I think she was called on when she no, said she, this. She did like a leadership move. She was yeah, like, hey, people of, are here to listen to us have talk about issues, not, you know, have a food fight. Yeah. And, and she had like a fancy look was like an, with it. It was an alpha move right it there. It was a pretty alpha move. I, it was pretty boss. But, <laughs> you know, she also sends parents to prison when their school, when their children skip school and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So, Her record you know, um is nothing will ever really redeem her in my eyes yeah as far as that goes yeah. i i can see people in california really supporting her yeah we'll go over her voting yeah, record we'll and everything in with individual oh. candidates later all right so let's get into the actual politicians and what um, all of their viewpoints are so i'm going to go through um, each politician one by one um, we're going to start with night one Um, We're going to go over what they talked about, um, the promises that they made, and the number one issue that they're going to tackle, like, during their presidency, basically. Yeah. We're just going to go over kind of the major points that Mm -hmm. were hit on in the debates, but kind of based on, like, a person category rather than just going through it chronologically. Right. So let's get started with Cory Booker. So he gets asked uh, why he doesn't support breaking up big companies and singling them out. Um, He says that he wants to check corporate consolidation and establish antitrust laws. And he denies the moderator basically telling him his viewpoint. And I don't really know what he means by establish antitrust laws because you know, we already have established antitrust laws. I guess he wants to just add more to it. I mean, unless he, but I want him to say that he's going to enforce the monopoly laws that are on the books or something like that. Because they're not enforced currently. Yeah. When he says something like, oh, I'm going to put like new laws on the books, that's not the same as saying I'm going to enforce the laws that are on the books. Mm -hmm. So it seems like a kind of sheepish dodge, um, which was kind of disappointing. Right. It's one of those things where he has an opinion and then he gets called out about his opinion and he kind of like shifts it to match whatever the crowd wants to hear is basically what I got from his answer. Yeah. For that question. All right. Go so ahead. he goes into healthcare. He says healthcare is a human right and he wants Medicare for all. He says that pharma should be like big pharma should be held criminally liable for the opioid crisis and he's not taking any contributions from big pharma or corporate PACs. So he's going to go after them. However, so he says, so he says, we know that he has taken money from big pharma and corporate PACs. I don't know if he's taken any for this election. This, yeah. Like this, we know in his past elections, he's 
fundraised, so to speak, mm-hmm. from them. But we don't and know what he's done record, this time. Um, yeah, it shows that he has in the past supported them. So, you know, is this a bold new Cory Booker who's about to support the people finally? Or is this uh, the same type of thing that every politician's done throughout all of time like oh i, I, I wonder think, i think he's still a corporatist he's just playing the anti-corporate train riding trying to ride it into the presidency he's yeah. also he's just writing, adopted a lot of bernie's talking points i yes. mean he bernie is the one who's been saying that is a common health care is a human right that he's is, been saying that for i think the first time i heard him say that was 2012 mm-hmm. and so the fact that all these democratic candidates are saying it now that it's in the debate and it's popular, you know, you're going to have to go a step further if you really want me to think that you're being sincere when you say that. Did you notice that pretty much all of the candidates almost copied word for word Bernie's points, talking points? Basically, yeah. So he goes in to talk about immigration, but he answers the question in Spanish about immigration He promises to end inhumane ICE policies, reinstate DACA, and establish a pathway to citizenship for current illegal citizens. Uh, Sorry, current illegal aliens. He wants to make investments in the Northern Triangle to make the area better and to have less people seek asylum. And he agrees with decriminalizing crossing the border. And that was a good thing on him that I like to note that he talked about the foreign policy aspects of why people are coming. You know, it's not just that like, oh, it's, you know, America's doing so well. Like people s- see that we're not doing that great. We're they don't really great. want to come here like they we're used to. We're just doing better than where we're they're We're doing from. better than a lot of other places still. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's that. But, you know, I did like that Corey brought up like there's a reason they're coming here and we can address that reason. The immigrants themselves, like the people themselves are not our problem. They are not what's causing our problem. And Corey realized, you know, we can address their problem. They will no longer be what, you know, I don't even want to accept the the premise that they are our problem, but whatever problem that, you know, someone might think they are. He, also points out that private prisons are profiting off of criminalizing the border crossing and we are able to secure our borders without criminalizing. Uh, I mean, for sure, those, um, you know, detention centers, those are all private prisons. They're all run for profit. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, it's disgusting that mm-hmm. we're, that there's just some guy who's profiting off of like holding children and, you know, imprisoning people. Uh, I know this is a nonpartisan report, but God, I mean, private prison, I, that just that just seems so immoral. Well, I also don't agree with having the open border that all of the Democrats, you know, brought forward on the stage. Basically, they all raised their hands that they wanted to decriminalize crossing the border and establish a pathway to citizenship and all that. And to me, that's just encouraging illegal immigration. Why would anybody, you know, pay for a ticket to get into the concert if you could just hop the fence and you know that the security guards are not allowed to kick you out of the concert as long as you lay low and, you know, don't make, you know, any fights happen in the concert or, you know, don't cause any ruckus. You can stay in the concert and enjoy the show for free and, 
you don't have to pay for the ticket. So basically to me, that's encouraging illegal immigration. And I don't agree with that. Bernie Sanders got questioned about why he supports open borders. And he said, I don't support open borders. Uh, I think if we have an open border, it would lead to a huge problem because there's a lot of poverty around the world and they would all come to the U.S. to seek um, all these benefits that he wants to give to Americans, like free health care and free college and stuff like that. And he says that America can't afford to open its borders and just let anybody in that wants to come in. But at the same time, if you're not going to punish the people that come in here illegally, then what's stopping them from coming in here illegally? Okay. Well, that's what they're trying to bring to the table. We'll see what happens in the general election, I guess. So Cory Booker wants to renegotiate the nuclear deal with Iran. He says that the greatest threat that America has is nuclear proliferation. So he does not want to get into war with Iran. He calls out the gun lobby and he says that gun violence is a huge problem and he's tired of thoughts and prayers he doesn't really explain what action he's going to take. He was Yeah, that was like a classic political or politician just, you know, saying things but not really saying anything. You know, he empathized with the victims and all that, but he didn't really say like, "Oh, I'm going to fix the problem that that's you know, a good point. caused the issue." Yeah, that's a good point. He actually does that again because he mentions the high rates of murder and African-American trans people. And he says he wants to fight for civil rights, but he doesn't really say how he's going to do that. Yeah. It's kind of like he's playing on identity politics. I also think it was really, really cringy how he spoke in Spanish when he's not Mexican at all. And his Spanish was yeah, as awful. far as I know. And as far as we all know, <laughs> Cory Booker doesn't really speak Spanish in his day-to-day life. And right. It, I don't and even his Spanish think he, was really bad. I don't think he understood what he was saying. I he, mean, he clearly had just practiced it. Yeah. Like he, I don't know. It was, was, it was very pandering. Weird. A lot of the comments after the fact of the debate basically said, wow, that's really a lot of pandering. A lot of Mexican people saw right through it and they thought it was really cringy. Yeah. I mean, and I agree with them. Because it's not like he had like this great eloquent thing to say directly to the Mexican people or like the Spanish speaking people in America. You know, he just started saying things in Spanish and was hoping people would be like, oh, wow, he's multicultural or something, I think. And he starts speaking Spanish when they ask him a question about immigration, the immigration policy. Mexican people aren't the only illegal immigrants in America. There's a lot of different races. Damn Canadians. (laughs) I don't know. Where are they coming from, Marwa? They're coming from all over the world. And a lot of the illegal immigration is actually people overstaying their visas or overstaying their green card after it gets taken away more than it is people crossing the border. So that's we can get into that later. I want to jump into Beto now. Beto O'Rourke. Beto gets his first question. He gets asked if he agrees with taxing top earners who earn more than $10 million a year, 70%. This is AOC's like classic. The Green New Deal? Tra- no, I think, she, well, I don't know if this is wrapped into that, but she had suggested like a couple months ago or something that 
people who make over $10 million a year should get beyond that. 70%. Yeah. Beyond 10 million, your 10 millionth dollar, you should be taxed 70%. So I think that's where this question is coming from coming at. He says that he'll, um, do no PACs and no gerrymandering and do same day voter registration in response to that question. But he initially... And that's all well and good, but... But it has nothing to do with the question. What is your ideas on tax policy? Now? Yeah. He also answered the question initially in Spanish. Like everything that I just said, he initially said it in Spanish and then he said it in English. And it wasn't even a question about like immigration or anything. He literally just busted out the Spanish. And when he did this, Cory Booker looked at him and he was so shook. He was just like... Yeah, because this was before Corey had a chance to bust out his own Spanish. His own Spanish, his own right. terrible Spanglish, but... <laughs> and Beto <laughs> is not Mexican either. He's white. His real name yeah, is his Robert. his real name is Robert. So... Uh, Pandering. This, uh, the, the fact that he even, like, kept that nickname of Beto, mm -hmm. it just, like, I get that, you know, maybe it was, like, a childhood nickname or something, but come on, man, you're in the real world now, like... <laughs> You're Robert. You're I not think Beto. They're trying to copy the whole Obama administration's tactics. I mean, he's he's just a white version of Obama, except he like kind of lacks some of the charisma, but he's got more of the flailing arms and the the oh, they're gonna live up to the potential. And the I I, I haven't heard a politician say potential more times than <laughs> Beto. That's for sure. So. Basically, he dodges the question. He talks about gerrymandering and same-day voter registration. So the moderator asks him again to answer yes or no, give a clear answer. But again, he gives a vague response. And he says that he supports a fair tax rate. Doesn't explain what a fair rate is. And I then have to imagine lots of different people have an idea of what's fair as a tax rate. The only thing he was specific about was taxing corporations at 28%. So. so he did give a specific tax rate about something, but that's not... That's not the, the question. That wasn't the question, yeah. And that wasn't... Or that's not even like half of what is important to most people about taxes. Like we care about our private income taxes. Mm -hmm. The, you know, the corporate business tax or whatever, like, you know, maybe some policy wonks like me would care about that, but... Uh, most people, you know, that's just a detail that they just want to see it higher because they, they don't like corporations, I feel like. Well, or there's just like I'm an sure, anti-corporate sentiment. I'm sure that, you know, the mainstream news reporting on Amazon paying 0% tax has a lot of people pissed off. As it should. So Beto praised Bernie's Medicare bill initially, but now he doesn't support it. And the moderator asks him why. He avoids the question again um, and noticing a pattern <laughs> and then the mod calls him out again and asks him like, please answer the question. And he says that he supports Medicare for those that can afford private health care and cannot he, afford private health care. Right. And he wants to keep private insurance for those that can afford it. I think that he's receiving donations from the health insurance lobby. They're spending millions and millions of dollars to protect their industry. Obviously, yeah. if I had an industry that was, un if my industry was under attack, I would spend all my money trying to defend it too because. Yeah. I mean, when you think about those guys and their positions, it makes sense why they're looking around for a politician to protect them. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, if as long as we're not being like, oh, those evil people or mm-hmm. they're crazy or whatever, like we can understand and just analyze mm-hmm. psychologically, like what would make them want to do that. But we know that Beto's probably their guy. He hasn't come forth and said that he's accepting. Yeah, but he but. raised more money than Bernie on his first day, mm-hmm. and he didn't release the number of individual contributors. So we don't know so, where the money's coming from. Yeah, so he raised more than Bernie, but why would he not show us the individual contributor number? It's obviously something he's not proud of. Mm-hmm. And so it just leads me to ask the obvious question. Did you get it from those packs you said you weren't talking to? Oh, did he say he wasn't going to talk to packs? I thought that was... No, I don't know. I'm no, that sure was Cory Booker. Well, I'm sure if you ask all of them directly, they'll all lie to your face and tell you, you know, we, we don't accept corporate money or, or whatever. They, actually, they don't lie. They dodge questions. You're right. You're right. I shouldn't <laughs> accuse them of such a heinous thing. Um. So basically, sorry, I keep saying, um, I'm so annoying. He promises to hold Big Pharma accountable for the opioid crisis, similar to what Cory Booker said. The moderator asks Beto a question in Spanish and he asks him what he would do as president in regards to immigration. Beto responds in Spanish. And Which he, here it, okay, <laughs> I can it think that of all the times that, you know, he spoke Spanish specifically, this is when it makes the most sense, but it's still like. Because someone spoke Spanish to him first. That too. And it's about immigration and specifically it's going to have that like southern context yeah it was just weird that he broke out his spanish in the beginning when it wasn't about anything that had to do with mexico at all yeah it just made all the rest of the spanish weird like if he had just like if he didn't use the spanish earlier in the night and had just used it then it wouldn't have been that obvious and didn't use it at all afterwards Mm -hmm. i'd been like i don't know what he said but (laughs) I, it, it must have been good, you know? It must have... It, like, that's what I would have assumed. But just the fact that he pulled it out... Three different his, times. In his first question that had was, nothing to do with Mexico. It was just it obvious was almost pandering. always a way to either dodge a question, buy time for him to think of a thing to say, or, you know, it, it, would, it always just felt like a tool or a ploy. It wasn't him being sincere. He wasn't living up to that potential. Come mm-hmm. on, Beto. So the way that he says that he wants... <coughs> excuse me. They say that the way that he says he wants to deal with the uh, immigration crisis is that he wants to do a family case management program at the border. He wants to rewrite immigration laws. He doesn't really say what he wants to put in immigration laws. And that's when he gets interrupted by Castro. And he says, how can you say that you want to rewrite immigration laws when you won't sign on to my bill that wants to decriminalize crossing the border. And Beto tries to dodge it like he does, but he isn't able to because he keeps getting called out by Castro. By the moderators, And too. the moderator, too. They were all against him. <laughs> and uh, Beto says that he wants to decriminalize people seeking asylum, but not necessarily all illegal immigration. So when it comes to gun violence, he wants universal background checks and red flag laws, and he wants an assault rifle ban. Booker pointed out that Beto doesn't think that everybody needs a license to own a firearm. So I guess that's a 
viewpoint that he has, but he and just didn't mention it you know, himself. A congressman from Texas, so it's understandable why he would have that view. I don't think he would be a congressman in Texas if he didn't have some uh, some very what we would call classically conservative views on gun rights and all that. Yeah, because he wouldn't win in Texas. Yeah, there's probably no way. He says that he wants renewable and sustainable agriculture to help climate change. He says that the USA should get involved if there's a genocide in foreign countries with, but he wants to get involved with our allies because the moderator asked him like, what is your interventionalist type policy that you have? Like, do you want to intervene if something bad is happening around the world? And he says, yeah, I think we should intervene, especially if it comes to genocide, but I want our allies to also go in there with us. I don't want, it's just the USA saving the world. And that's nice of him to say that, but, you know, when it comes to things like NATO and the UN and these other things that, you know, would be like supposedly like the international community that, you know, politicians like to talk about, you know, we fund most of that. Like NATO is mostly funded by us. The UN is mostly funded by the US. So even if you can say like, oh, I want to our allies, our allies it's like... Uh, we're we're kind footing of, the bill. We're fo- yeah, we're footing the bill for it either way. So I would have preferred an answer like, you know, n- no, <laughs> we're just not, we're not going to support like anything like that. We're not going to sell weapons to people like that. But the, the going in with the allies thing is like a very classic politician-y thing to say. And it's just very safe, you know, it's right. just a safe thing to say for him. So he basically says the greatest threat that the U.S. faces right now is climate change. And that's all he says about it. He doesn't really say anything he's going to do to change climate change. He says that we must start impeachment for Trump for obstruction of justice. And if this was his closing statement, right? I think so. He says that if he wins, his Department of Justice will pursue accountability and get like lock up Trump, basically. Like, you know how Trump during his campaign was like, lock her up. Like, I feel like Beto is like, lock him up. Yeah, <laughs> that is in a step away from that, huh? Right. That's a, that's a dangerous <laughs> Game of Thrones to be playing there. But all right. So let's jump into Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren says that the economy is only doing well for rich corporations. She says she calls out corruption and she calls out corporate monopolies by name. And she says she has the courage to do it and nobody else on stage does. She wants to bring back manufacturing jobs by investing in clean, green energy research and development corporations that want to use the re- the government funded research to create products and sell them must manufacture all the products in the USA and sell it to the rest of the world. And that is I think uh, an interesting turning point I think in American political culture because for so long, you know, it's been or the idea has been oh we just you know, fund the universities and then the students go off and they'll start a business and they'll profit from it. 
And now we're starting to see politicians like Warren and Sanders sit, start to say things like, you know, the the universities are government funded and they've been educating the whole public and it's time for, you know, them to be like respected, I think. Or they're trying to say like, oh, your businesses are employing people who are educated by these universities or, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to come up with new excuses to claw back more taxes essentially. But, you know, it's an interesting argument to, to say the least, I think. So she says that she wants to abolish private health insurance in favor of Medicare for all. She signed on to Bernie's Medicare for all plan and she promised to implement it if she becomes president. And she says that healthcare is a basic human right. And the Medicare for all will include uh, free access to birth control and abortion. So gun violence, she says, is a national health emergency. She wants universal background checks and ban all assault weapons. She wants to fund research as well to figure out how to make the country safer from gun violence because she thinks it's like a mental health emergency. I mean, you got to admit that it, it, it does seem like a mental health emergency. Uh, the fact that our kids are committing suicide at higher rates than ever, that they're shooting each other, at, you know, it's like, what is going on? But Elizabeth Warren's always got this idea like, oh, if we'll just, or we'll always just spend money and study the problem. But I feel like, people are kind of hurting for something a little bit more urgent or some, they want somebody who's already got some kind of plan or something in place. Right. I do think that the Medicare for all thing is going to have a lot of Republicans automatically not vote for any of the Democrats because I don't know about that. There's polls out of like West Virginia that show that 53% of Republicans in like deep red states would vote Medicare for all or they would, that they would support that. So I think that there's but a, it says, a ground shift but it, from but she, classical American understanding. But she said that it will also cover abortion. And I feel like so many conservative people are one issue voters when it comes to abortion. They will never, ever, ever vote for a candidate that supports abortion or says that they support abortion. So that off the bat is going to, well, we'll see. I'm sure it'll, that'll affect some people and it won't others. She says, Oh no, that's it. That's all she says. (laughs) Let's jump into uh, Julian Castro, which was by Ryan's graph that he brought up. Actually, he was looking like, the absolute winner, you know, right. he got more help than maybe someone like, um, Tulsi Gabbard or Mary, uh, what was her name? Marianne William Wal- Williamson. Oh yeah. Um, but he, at least when you look at the online search results, he had the best numbers, like after the debate compared to before he had the biggest increase. So you, there is a, I think a solid argument to say that he is actually the overall winner. I think so, too, just based off of how the debate went. I think her, him and Kamala Harris stood out to me the most based on the debate 
on the first night versus the second night. And mm -hmm. looking at the graphs, I was not surprised at all to see that they were trending on top. So let's get into what he talked about. Uh, he was initially questioned on how he would close the women's pay gap. He says that he wants to pass equal an equal rights amendment and pass legislation that women get equal pay for equal work. So I know there's a lot of controversy surrounding the women's pay gap. And there's a question on if it even exists because there's been a ton of other studies that delegitimize the notion that there is a women's pay gap. The fact mm -hmm. or the fact that they're that women are not getting equal pay for equal work. Yeah, it's specifically that equal pay for equal work that I understand is the, the real sticking point in the kind of discussion around these things. The way I understand it is that if you took all men and all women and you added up their incomes and you just looked at that. Men make more. Men make or women make, you know, 80 percent or they've got about 70 percent of that yes. or whatever. But. You know, that doesn't tell the whole story. There's more to us than just our genders. And so when it you doesn't, start It to, doesn't go into the job uh, description either. Yeah. Well, when you start to look at just other individual factors, like, you know, um, just where you were born, education level, just things like that, it turns out that those things mean more than your gender. And That's true. There's even some studies that have suggested that once you've accounted for a myriad of the other things that are different about us, uh, that women actually will make more in certain industries. So, you know, this whole idea that we're going to pass an amendment or something, we're going to legislate equal pay for equal work, I think is not, it's not being reasonable. You're not looking at the issue. Mm -hmm. The issue is that women want to go into different work and the, or that they do f or that when they do find that they want to go into the same work, they're mm -hmm. not being treated equally that, I mean, it can be looked at, but when you're looking at the overall issue or when you're talking about that big statistic of like women making 70 cents on the dollar, you know, first of all, it's to say it like that is not accurate, but also there's just so much more to it that, you know, uh, having a, a, legislative plan seems just what like what are you even gonna try and do yeah um basically i don't even know how you would implement it because there's no law that says that employers have to tell all their employees what everyone's getting paid and if there's no transparency about that then how do you really know that you're getting paid less than your male co-worker for the yeah. same i mean work and for that reason i encourage all people of all businesses to discuss their salaries with each other openly and be very, you know, forthcoming with that sort of information because yeah, that's the a only lot way of, you a know. A lot of people don't want to tell other coworkers yeah. how much they make. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a, I don't know. It's like a weird cultural thing. I don't know what, how it got started, but you I, know, we they, should be open to talking about it because it, yeah. it's not like we should be ashamed of it. It's not your individual failing that you have a minimum wage job. It's that, well, I mean, maybe it is, but, you know, it's also the fact that that's all there is available, right? right? That there's no training for things that are that next rung up or whatever. Right. And a lot of women go into careers that are just lower paying than 
the type of careers that men choose to go into. Yeah. And that's not because of, um, what's it called? Discrimination. Sorry, I blanked there. It's not because of discrimination. Like a woman can be a computer engineer. She can be a software engineer. She can be a rocket scientist or whatever she wants to do. There isn't anything in the university system in America currently that would stop a woman from going into STEM. There's actually a lot of programs in the universities that try to encourage women to go into STEM. But it's just that women aren't interested in that type of work. And it's just because it might be because of their nature. I'm not saying that all women have like more nurturing like nature than men. Cause you went far into the STEM fields yourself. I mean, it's yeah. not like uh, yeah. you're scientifically illiterate. It's just that women there's, there's some women because of their nature, they just enjoy certain work more than another type of work or they want less risk in their work than a man would put himself in. Like a yeah. man is more likely to put his life at risk for his job more than a woman. That too. But also like when you look at men and women statistically, like women will, or like a bigger percentage of women will tend to go into like service fields, which tend to require all of your time and attention on just the immediate thing. And it's not a bad thing that they no, get, it's not a bad thing, they get gratification and they feel happy from going into like a service field. But at the end of the day, that's not going to pay as much as, you know, something in STEM. And that, that is what it is. Yeah. Because so what I was trying to say is that men will go into STEM fields or people who do go into STEM fields, the difference between a, going into a service field and a STEM field is that the STEM field can scale. You know, once you have built up a program or something like that, you know, if you're a computer guy, um, you know, once you've got it going, like you can build on it, you can build on it. But once you have taken care of one patient, that doesn't make you any more money. You're just done. You take care of the next person now. So when we look at these kinds of big things like this, you really need to start adding additional layers of um, richness to the data to help your understanding. Because if you're just looking at it through these very broad scopes, um, you just can't have an accurate understanding of what's going on. Yeah, I feel like the scientific community has come to a consensus that the women's pay gap that the government keeps pushing forward as an issue doesn't really exist and there's no or like not in the way that not in the way try to say it exists correct yeah so he believes in reproductive justice he said uh instead of and reproductive i don't know rights. what that means <laughs> he brings up trans women uh because you know regular women aren't the only ones who get pregnant trans women also get pregnant i learned that i learned that from julian castro that night um, he wants to have the right to have an abortion covered under Medicare. He promises to put judges on the bench to protect Roe v. Wade, which was it's expected. Yeah. Every it's single, like, yeah, from every a single, Democrat, like, yeah, that just seems every single candidate course. is going to be saying that. Yeah. Like that's not even the past 30 years. Like that's been pretty what standard. really made Julian Castro stand out was his stance on immigration he wants to sign an executive order to remove Trump's zero po tolerance policy, the remain in Mexico policy yeah. and the metering policy. The fact, and he had that one other policy he mentioned 
it was like some number, like 13 something. But I think that's what really put Julian Castro on top, like we were seeing on that graph, is that he brought out specific policies and challenged other candidates to either support or like try to get rid of policies with him. He got Elizabeth Warren to sign on to his policy and Elizabeth Warren also signed on to Bernie's Medicare policy. Um, but anyway, so he mentions Oscar and his daughter, the two that died trying to cross the border. And he says that their death was directly because of the meter Trump's metering policy. And that policy denied the ability denied them the ability to make an asylum claim. So they got frustrated when they got denied to make the asylum claim because of Trump's policy. So they got impatient and they um, tried to go and cross the river and they died um, doing that. Hmm. So he says that he wants Latin American countries to make less people want to come here. So he's going to initiate a Marshall Plan for Latin America to help them out to make Latin America more safe. I don't know. It's just that, you know, I don't think they need more of our stuff. They need less of our DEA in their country. They need less of our CIA in their country. They, they're, you know, when I went to Colombia, everyone was fine. Like they there was less homelessness than there is here in Orange County, California. There was, you know, people were eating fine. Like it, it, it didn't seem like a lot of people were wealthy and there was definitely shanty towns and all that. But, you know, I feel, I can't help but feel I mean, there's like there's still a lot of poverty there. Yeah, you might there have not is. seen it because you're a tourist. I mean, I was probably in touristy areas for sure, but you know, it's not like we can go in there and just fix the, that it's that we need to stop we can't even fix our own homeless population problem yeah so the idea that you know we're gonna just marshal plan again like billions of pounds of food and toys and whatever else that people need to other countries it's like i don't see that winning in the general that might have been something nice to say here in the primary but i think as we go along further we'll see I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how left wing mm-hmm. this uh, this group of candidates stays. So something that made him really stand out was saying that in his first hundred days as president, he will honor all asylum claims. And then he will also offer illegal immigrants who have never committed any other crime other than crossing the border illegally, a pathway to citizenship. He also wanted to decriminalize crossing the border and repeal the criminalization. So, yeah, I mean, so when people come to our border and they seek asylum, most of the time, if, if they're, they have a lawyer who can help them with the process, it's like a 90% that they go through and everything is fine. Like it, it almost always works out. So I don't know. Uh, that whole well the reason that there's such an uproar to you know decriminalize the border crossing is because the reason that the trump administration has been able to separate families at the border is because of the fact that it's technically a crime to 
to pass the border. So then they have the legal authority to be able to separate the children from the parents. If they, if there's no crime committed, they have no ground to do that. But because it's technically a crime, they do have ground legal grounds to do that. Yeah. Which is so, I don't know. It just seems so immoral to me. Like you're, but you also know that family, like just leave them with Obama, Obama, deported more people than any president in history and he was the one that started separating families at the border yeah and he also started five additional wars and a torture program so you know we don't like barack obama either but you know it's that there are these policies that the u.s keeps on implementing no matter who's president or no matter what they're saying and how much we like them so it just seems strange uh, he wants to pass, he says, common sense gun reform, but doesn't explain what, what that means. common sense is. So yeah. It's just a little vague to be judging on, but so he's... He wants to... noises about gun control. Right. He wants to sign the an executive order to recommit us to the Paris Climate Accord. He wants to work on racial and social justice. Um, He wants to work on police brutality. He wants to reform, he says, the racist policing system that um, have given the communities less trust in police and like reestablish the trust. He says that the greatest threat is China and climate change. His closing remarks were in Spanish he promised good health care, education, and job opportunities. So promised good things, not bad things. Awesome. Right. That's uh I don't surprising. know I don't know if any other candidate spoke out about police brutality until the next night. That's I think he was point. the only yeah. he, I think he was the only one this night that talked about I don't about remember anybody brutality. from night two even bringing up or specifically Buddha, saying Buddha Jed. Buddha Kid. Well, that's because he was the mayor of a town in which something happened. Right. Not because he was saying, I'm going to stop it as president. So Amy Klobuchar, let's get into her. Okay. She wants to, she wants to make community college free and to increase student financial aid and make it easier to pay off student loans, but doesn't explain how she's going to make it easier. You make it easier unless you're just cutting our interest payments or something like that free community college it's basically already i mean no the cost is rising but i mean it just is like if you're gonna do free community college why would i vote for you and not the guy saying free full university yeah like i said a lot of these candidates are just piggybacking off of bernie yeah, with the they're just policies. like kind of feeling that there's a left wing ish energy mm-hmm. and they're seeing some success from people who are more left wing than them. And they're like, all right, I want attention, too. Mm-hmm. Um, she was asked why she doesn't want to abolish private health care. And she says she doesn't want to kick people off their insurance if they like their insurance. She points to Trump giving handouts and tax cuts to big pharma. And she, she also Trump a lot. way more than everyone else i think yeah she did she points to trump giving handouts and tax cuts to big pharma but not only did he do that like after he did that they kept increasing their drug prices instead of lowering them so he said he did all these things so that they could lower their prices but then they ended up increasing all their prices Hmm. 
She says that she wants universal health care eventually, but she wants to begin with the public option and then slowly go so there. So what is the public option that she wants to start with? I think she says that she wants everybody to have Medicare if they want it, just as the basic bare minimum. But if they want to also supplement it with private insurance, then they can. Because Medicare doesn't cover every single thing. Yeah. It just covers like a lot or something, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it, the things that it does cover, it fully covers it. Mm. But it just doesn't cover everything. Which is way better than any private insurance. Mm-hmm. So on immigration, she kind of avoids the question about decriminalizing the border crossing. So I don't really know where she stands on that. You have to look into it. I mean, you have to imagine if she's going to dodge that question, knowing what the response has been the whole night Mm -hmm. from everyone else, Mm -hmm. you kind of have to imagine that she feels more right wing than the rest of the crowd. Mm -hmm. Because if she was going to be openly left wing about it, she would have just said it right there and then accepted the applause. Mm -hmm. So the fact that she dodged, it makes me feel like she's probably not the same like open borders or whatever type of Democrat as the rest of them. She says that she wants to renegotiate the nuclear deal with Iran, but if she, there is going to be conflict with Iran, she wants to go through Congress for authorization of force, not just send a missile strike to Iran. And that's kind of the same thing with Beto, you know, with that, that like, oh, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it with allies. Don't worry. I'm going to do it the right way. It's like, no, we want you to not do it. <laughs> so the fact that she would go to Congress first, again, you know, I'm always happy to hear that the president of the United States plans on adhering to the Constitution. That should have been a given that she would go to Congress for authorization to war. Mm-hmm. But she should be arguing for peace, not for how I'm going to make it okay that we're at war. Right. I'm going to make it so that we are not at war. That's what I think that we should all be looking for in the next pre- presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. So she also wants to ban assault weapons just like everybody else. She points out that the assault weapons won't be confiscated by the government, but the government would buy them back. But they would okay. be... they would. Um. It would it would be a ban, so you you have no choice but to sell it to the government. Um, mm, crafty, I don't know. In her first hundred days, she said that she'll make sure everyone can vote, and she will do criminal justice reform. She says that. Our, oh, that's so vague. <laughs> she says her greatest threat is China and Iran. She says that um, as a candidate. She knows that she could get these things done and she has passed over a hundred bills. She says that she has won in the reddest district and and in the reddest districts and in the reddest states, which kind of like affirms what you said about her being a little bit more to the right than all the others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, there is that argument that we want someone who's more in the center so Mm -hmm. that they can peel off. All the centrists Mm -hmm. from who would have voted for Trump. Mm -hmm. That's what she's saying. She says that she is the one to beat Trump in states where he won in those really important states that gave him the election. She says she can win those states. 
Uh, I think it would be interesting to go back and see who was the favorite among those um, those states, like oh, Ohio, they, Minnesota. Like, yeah, I that. mean, they covered it during the Democratic re- debate in the like the in between, like oh, the little they? commercial break. You know how oh, it, yeah. it was a guy with the graph or whatever, and he was pointing. Yeah, you knew so, he was serious because he had his sleeves <laughs> rolled up. Yeah, they pointed out that in the states that gave him the election, the winning votes were like 10,000 or 20,000. It was like very tiny, 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 tiny amount of people that Mm. led him to win those, to win those states. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to imagine the margins were slim. Yeah. And I don't know. I think uh, Trump is going to be in a much worse position this time around because I think you it depends know, who gets nominated. I think if, I mean, if we'll a straight see, up but I think if you just look at Trump, he's in a weaker position now that he's been in power and people have actually seen what he wants to do. You know, it's always easier to criticize from the outside. And that's why the Democrats or the outside party, really, mm-hmm. you know, the Republicans, when Obama was president, they, they all got a little bit of a boost because they weren't the party in power. Right. Tim Ryan, we're going to jump into him right now. Mm, He's also another candidate that was more, that wasn't as left as the rest of them were. I got the impression that he was just as left as a lot of them until he started talking about foreign policy. And then he kind of had that classic, you know, neoliberal, like, oh, I just want to, I want to you know, have war and be engaged, so to speak, he said. And so when it, yeah, when it comes to the border, when it comes to gun reform, when it comes to everything like that, he is basically left. But then when it comes to climate change and what did he say about climate change? He kind of avoided the question. He Mm. thinks that the climate change question is giving the democratic party a perception problem of being elitist and he wants to collect connect with working class people basically like saying that if we're fighting so hard on climate change you're fighting against working class people and against businesses and we and those are the people that we need to win so he doesn't want to go but that's i think it's a false uh dichotomy that has really been kind of propagated. You know, there's this idea that if we fight climate change, it means by necessity that we are, will be less, we'll have a less productive economy or the economy won't grow as fast or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that those two concepts are as connected as Tim Ryan's trying to make there. Well, he's saying that a lot of green deal legislations is going to hurt working class people and working class families. But it's about investing in like infrastructure and building new stuff like it would take them to go out and build it and the government giving them money to Mm -hmm. do that so i don't know maybe i'm misunderstanding or something but he says that he brought back manufacturing jobs to ohio and he promises to do the same on a national level he wants the industrial policy to dominate electric vehicles and solar power and make half of them in the U S so I think he's like pro like making, yeah, he's trying to come off as like a green, green capitalist right. type of Democrat. I think, right. He doesn't want like legislation that is going to hurt 
businesses, but then he wants to make new green businesses. So he's like, a, I think a capitalist. Yeah, he's trying to just kind of be middle of the road. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I don't want to jump too far ahead because I want to spend more time on Andrew Yang. But I feel like, you know, if we're trying to find a green capitalist, an environmentalist and someone who knows the economy, uh, why would I go for Tim Ryan if we have Andrew Yang? But we'll keep going with Tim Ryan for now. Yeah, he agrees with gun reform. He wants trauma-based care in every school. He wants social emotionally, social and emotional learning to fix the root issue of why kids are going into schools and shooting up kids. Yeah, and it would probably do a lot to help with suicide. I mean, it, that mm -hmm. was a good suggestion he had. There were times when, you know, he, I really did like what he had to say. Mm -hmm. He wants to decriminalize crossing the border. And he also calls on Donald Trump to send doctors to the border and to take care of these separated children. He says it's unacceptable that they're sitting in like three week old diapers and not being changed and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I mean, like you can call on Trump or can you call on like the the board of directors of those companies like i don't really know what's going know on i definitely about trump i definitely think at the border the separated children are not getting like the best resources and the best services no. obviously but i don't know if it's fair to call them concentration camps like well they've i mean been called i don't think that's a fair well comparison to you make can at say all. that but historians and like people who've been in concentration camps People like Japanese Americans, like big groups have come out and called them concentration camps. It's not just AOC. It's in, when no, you look I at think, the actual I definition, no. they fit. I think that's it insulting. Fits. I think it's insulting because the definition of I mean, like I an internment. I think it's insulting that they're being kept in cages under they're not, metal okay, blankets. Listen, what's so. insulting to me about it is that in internment camps and concentration camps, they're being held there against their will. These people that are at the border, they're applying for asylum. They want to get into this country in return because that their case can't be seen right away. They have to stay somewhere. So they stay in these camps. They are not there against their will. They chose to go there. Those children are there against their will. And they shouldn't have like mylar blankets and stuff. They're, they those should have actual blankets. Yeah, those children are there against their will, but it was the will of their parents that put them there. Okay, well, either way, I mean, it's still a concentration champ for children. Even if you just want to be technical about it, they're technically correct, even though they're not supposedly I just don't, it's not going to get worse. I just don't think it's... There. I, I know there's a problem at the border. I think there needs to be a more efficient way to go through all these people that want to claim asylum and give them a yes or no answer right away instead of having them wait weeks in a camp. Like, I think that's totally, totally unfair. There needs to be a more efficient system. I don't think that the money should go like into making like a little like schoolyard for the children and you know teaching them and feeding them and clothing them and everything like no because they're we, not supposed need, to be there that long that we need those resources for american children right now like even foster kids aren't getting those types of services you know what i mean so for the democrats to be sitting on their high horse or their high chair and being like shame on you for you know, treating the, these kids horribly. It's like, what have you done to help the systematic crisis at the border? Like, it's a systematic issue that, or just, it's, um, what's it called? Like, 
I mean, it is a systemic issue. Yeah, it's, it's not a, just one party and it's not just one person who's at fault here. They, there needs to be a better system for these people who want to ask for asylum into this country. They need a yes or no answer a lot quicker and they need to employ people at the border that is going to work through these cases a lot faster. And if they don't, they're going to have a humanitarian crisis like we're seeing. It's just what we're seeing is neglect and mismanagement. Like that's all it is. Yeah. And it's just an embarrassment for our country. I mean, we're supposed to be the country that welcomes immigrants and that, you know, is a shining like city on a hill and all that. Like how are we keeping kids I don't, in, like, I don't think it's our mylar blankets. I don't I don't think it's our responsibility to feed and clothe and house um kids that aren't even American. But we shouldn't be subjecting them to like disgusting conditions and neglect and abuse either. So Tim Ryan thinks that our greatest threat is China and he also had a really embarrassing, cringy moment when Tulsi Gabbard like took him down, basically. With she basically dunked on him again and again and again. It was pretty beautiful to watch. So he says that we lost $130 million drone because Trump wasn't engaged. And if he was engaged, then we could have used that money towards things that America needs, like healthcare or whatever. Yeah, so you can see he's pointing out the very specific, the drone being over the Iranian territory, but he's not connecting that to the full war on terror and drone warfare and all that. So Tulsi Gabbard tells him that, you know, she's a veteran, so she, like, took offense to that, and she says, really, that's what you're going to tell soldiers soldiers that they're not engaged, and that's why this happened? No. Um, we, when we, and he said, when we weren't in Afghanistan, the Taliban was flying planes into our buildings, which is <laughs> and almost hilarious. And she points him out, points that out and says, no, the Taliban have never, have never left never, Afghanistan. Yeah. Really. They've always, they've been in Afghanistan long before we've been, the U S has involvement in Afghanistan. They're going to be in there long before, long after we leave. So and she points out that it was Saudi Arabia and it was Al Qaeda that attacked us on 9/11, not the Taliban. So that was so embarrassing for him. Like I yeah. felt embarrassed for him. It like, was one of those moments where you're like, "Ooh," and you almost want to like look away and like turn it off because you're like, "Oh, that was just so uncomfortable." Because he had talked up such big game about being on like a an armed services committee or something like that. Like he was somebody that he made himself out to be like he would know. You know, and then it just showed that he really like doesn't know didn't know anything, yeah. or he clearly had just been listening to whoever the lobbyists are for that uh, that committee. You know, just buying whatever they're telling him. Right. So he wants to reunite the working class and stop doing petty identity politics that's splitting up the working class. So I like that closing point that he made because it is pretty true. Like people are fighting over petty identity politics when there's more pressing issues that everyone is affected by regardless of race, religion, whatever. And we need to work on those issues before we can 
focus on the petty BS. I don't know. I, uh, that it kind of reeked. I, this will be rich coming from a white guy, but it, it was kind of reeking of like white privilege. Cause it seems like another white guy trying to just brush off what, you know, black people are saying is like been their problem. And it's like, Oh, you know, don't worry about it. Like we're all together in this now. And it's like, Oh, that's what has been. People have been saying for like 50 years. Mm -hmm. And now we have this whole reparations conversation to actually, kind of flesh out that, um, I don't know, I think that whole conversation. So I think Tim Ryan, you know, even saying like some of that stuff that he said towards the end, I didn't hate it, but I didn't think that it was good. And I, I think that it showed in the numbers. He didn't do that great. He didn't do as terrible as some other people. But yeah, I mean, overall, I guess a C. C plus if I had to do that. John Delaney got asked how he was going to fix the wage gap. He said that he wanted to raise the minimum wage, give paid family leave and double the earned income tax credit. Props on the specificity for that one. He promises healthcare as a human right and wants to provide universal healthcare with basic coverage but he says a lot of Americans like their private health insurance and they oh, should be able to keep their plans the if they want. No Americans like their private insurance. I don't think that that I don't think there's a single person who's like, oh, I fucking love Aetna or United or something like that. He says all hospitals will close if they get paid Medicare rates. He Who says is this John Delaney. Okay. Yeah. So he says that he like spoke to hospitals and he asked them if you got paid only Medicare rates, like how would your economic model look? And they said we would close down and we would go bankrupt because Medicare does not pay enough to cover costs. Um, he promises to work in a bipartisan manner with Republicans to get things accomplished. He says he can get Republicans to pass a bipartisan carbon tax bill and give the dividend back to American people within his first year in office. Uh, so it sounds like he really is pushing like the bipart, like I'm a bipartisan uh, yeah, go-to guy. Yeah, centrist type of thing. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I guess it's like why pick that kind of a centrist if there's another like better centrist or something. Who do you know. think is a better centrist? I don't know. There's just a lot of different kinds of centrists out there in this, uh, in this race. So he thinks that the greatest threat is China and nuclear weapons. And he says he gets questioned about if Donald Trump should be prosecuted. And he says, yeah, he does think so, but he thinks that the American people care more about schools, jobs, healthcare, infrastructure, and those are more important than the Mueller report. Yeah, I think he pretty much hit the nail on the head with that one. Yeah. Um, he's against infighting. He's against inaction. He wants to fix infrastructure and education and healthcare. And that was his I closing mean, remarks. He's, he's for good things and against bad things. I... <laughs> Unless you have a specific policy or something, um, you know, the saying your priorities in the first debate, I don't think that really is going to tell us much about how he would be a president. So let's jump into Tulsi Gabbard. She did Please. really, really well. I'm really yeah. excited to talk about her. Um, I also feel like a lot of 
conservatives really liked her. Yeah. She doesn't try to be the kind of centrist that Amy Klobuchar and who is the person we were just talking about? John Delaney. Delaney. I already forgot about him. Um, you know, they try to make themselves out to be a, a bipartisan centrist type of person. But I think Tulsi Gabbard actually has a lot of the qualities that would make a conservative want to vote for them. You know, Delaney can say, oh, I want to be a bipartisan guy and be a centrist. But when he's up on stage against Trump, I don't think that any of the Trump voters are going to see him and be like, oh, well, I'm going to make this kind of switch. But if you can see someone like Tulsi Gabbard, who actually does have very real conservative bona fides and is a smart and intelligent person who's articulate and able to say, we don't want to go to war because blah, 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 these mm -hmm. reasons. So I, I have a lot of uh, hope in Tulsi. So her first question she gets asked about is women's pay gap. She totally dodges the question to talk about foreign policy. Which I I don't like that politicians dodge questions, but... I think I, that was a good question I to dodge. Almost, yeah, I almost, yeah, I almost don't mind it. I think her view is that the wage gap, women's pay gap, like, is kind of propaganda that, does, that has already been disproven a million times, but she didn't want to get into that because there's yeah. not enough time. Or at the very least, you know, whatever little tweaks that they want to do in the capitalist system, it's going to do less for women than, like, s than ending the wars would, right. basically. So she brings up her military past and how the endless regime change wars have costed us trillions. She promises to spend less on war, more on health care, a green economy, and good-paying jobs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. She wants Medicare for all, but she wants to supplement it with private health insurance instead of... Yeah, so me. she wouldn't ban private insurance, but she does want... Right. The Medicare for all. It sounds like all the Democrats that aren't on board with Bernie's Medicare for all that would ban private insurance are basically saying, I don't want to ban private insurance. I just want it to still Honestly, exist. Honestly, I am not want hearing, I want to ban private insurance from almost any of them. Any, I, I anybody can't who, think of them. No, Bernie is on his Medicare, Medi-Cal bill, like it will abolish abolish private health care but and all kinds of private health care because medicare doesn't cover yeah everything they talked about it in the debate um it was i think john the lady who brought it up or i'll i'll get into it later we'll find the candidate yeah we'll i'll find the, into it i'll yeah, yeah yeah no it was on the night when bernie was debating it was okay. on a different but we're talking night. about tulsi so so basically she says that she wants basic coverage under medicare for all but people who want to supplement uh, their health insurance with a private health care plan totally can. They'll still be allowed to exist and do business. So she wants no war with Iran. She wants to negotiate and improve the Iran deal. She gets asked about what is the red line for war with Iran? And she says that she would only respond if they attacked first, basically. She's not... And she Well, she specifically said if they attacked, like, our soldiers or our citizens or troops or something like that. Right. So, and I thought that like that was... Like a 9-11 type scenario. Like I if, mean, she didn't say that. Well, she didn't say she that, but I'm saying... She just said if Iran yeah. had attacked, like, our soldiers or something like that. 
that would be her red line. And that is, I think, a very much more acceptable red line than John Bolton's red line of Saudi oil tankers. And she called out Pompeo and Bolton by name. She said their names and she called them out for escalating tensions with Iran and leading us into another Iraq war. She also called them chicken hawks, which I like that. I like that a lot. (laughs) She was being, she got called out for being against gay marriage in the past. Mm -hmm. She said, I thought I actually really liked her answer for this. She says she no longer holds those views and actually like felt like emotional when she was like talking about how, you know, she would like, she's fought with people of LGBTQ, like in the army and she would give her life for them. And she knows that they would give their lives for her. So basically Tulsi grew up, in like a very religious, like Hindu household. Yes. And so, you know, she was kind of raised by her dad who was like an anti-gay activist. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she made a transformation herself. And now I think uh, as a member of Congress, she's got like a perfect uh, or one of the best reputations with like some big LGBTQ mm-hmm. or, uh, organization. So, yeah. you know, she's clearly made a 180 on this. And I think the fact that they keep bringing it up is it's a way to give her a question without giving her anything of substance good to talk to about, talk about yeah. for people. Well, I think maybe a lot of gay people wanted to hear that because maybe if they look her I'm up, sure. they'll, yeah. people that don't like her are like, oh, she's a homophobe and they'll just like go off of... I don't know. It's I feel like it's harder to find like older stuff like that. Like if you looked her up on Google today, I feel like you would find... Well, you'd probably find debate stuff today, but before the debate, I feel like you would have found other stuff. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so I wrote down here that she obliterated Tim Ryan <laughs> when he says we need to be more engaged. Um, she called out Al-Qaeda in Saudi Arabia by name, which I thought was awesome. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. got, she got cut off before she could continue. She said our greatest threat in America is nuclear war. Um, and she says that the government needs to stop working for the rich and start working for everybody else. She wants a green economy, peace, prosperity, and opportunity for all. So all good things. What do you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, the reason that I like Tulsi is that she will specifically say like, we are, we need to end these Mm -hmm. wars. And you know, she is somebody who would actually be the type of person to mean it when they say that, you know, even if other politicians would say something like that, I don't always believe that they mean it until, you know, something actually, or they actually put their money where their mouth is or something like that. You know, Tulsi was the, I think she was the vice chair of like the DNC. Like she was pretty high up. She was like number three or four in the party um, in 2016 when they cheated Bernie and she actually quit the, her high up position in the party to run with Bernie. So you know, there's a lot of reason to think that she has a lot of integrity and means what she says. Let's jump into Bill de Blasio. We have just have two more candidates for night one. Um, the moderator states that the wealth gap between the rich and the poor is the biggest that it's ever been in history. And then he asks Bill how he's going to change that. Bill says he's going to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour federally and increase sick days. He says that we're supposed to be progressive and that there's plenty of money to be progressive. It's just in the wrong hands. 
Uh, I disagree because there's $22 trillion in debt <laughs> that we're in. I don't think we have plenty of money to be, just be throwing around, but I do agree that we we're spending act like we have plenty of money. Yeah. Yeah. I do agree that we're spending too much money in the wrong places and not enough money in the places that we should. Um, when asked about who's going to abolish private health, who's like willing to abolish private health care insurance, he raises his hand. Um, he interjected when Beto says he won't abolish the private health care system. And then he asked them, how can you defend a system that isn't working? So he's like very against private health care. He wants to just get rid of all of them and only have Medicare. Yeah. And I'm sure that that's a very polarizing position. I'm sure a lot of people, you know, are at least scared of the move, even if they don't like their private insurance. Well, they're scared because Medicare doesn't cover everything. And the stuff for, for stuff that Medicare doesn't cover, you're going to have to pay out of pocket. Well, I mean, I'm sure they would expand Medicare if they were really going to make it the nation's healthcare system. I hope so. Or else we're going to have a lot of out-of-pocket expenses. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they there's already like, uh, companies that are like healthcare companies that don't want to accept insurance. So maybe they'll just take like small cash payments and it won't be too bad, but Ooh, our system now sucks. So yeah, it's not anyway. working. He says immigrants haven't, uh, killed the American dream. Big corporations did. I'm sure that he's speaking to any conservatives that are listening when he says this because of Trump's, platform of build the wall build the wall and yeah we'll kind of uh, he's taken like the opposite approach to like amy klobuchar and who was our other centrist that we talked about delaney he's kind of taking uh, he's, he's kind very of taking left. up a position on the left side he's like very very left yes. which i mean i agree immigrants didn't cause our problems you know corporations and politicians did but um i don't know it's just he interesting so he got asked this question about what would you, how would you have Mitch McConnell allow you to make a Supreme Court nomination? Huh? He, huh? What was the question? He got asked the same question that others were asked about Mitch McConnell and the Supreme Court nomination, blocking the Supreme Court nomination. He ignored the question to talk about gun violence. He mentioned that his black, he mentions that he has a black son and He's really highly aware of like the mistrust in the policing community because of the police's history and uh, reputation about racism. Um, and that's another one of those things where it's like, well, I'm glad you understand what the problem is, or I'm glad you have this like personal connection to what other people are experiencing as a problem. But you know, we're we won't put you up on that stage because we wanted to hear what a plan to address it might look like and so i don't know i understand why they're trying to empathize and all that but there's there's just a distinct lack of plans and policies at least in this first night he says that america has gone to war without congressional approval way too many times and we need to stop doing that um, even if it is for a genocide he says that our greatest threat is Russia undermining our democracy, which is, again, kind of questionable yeah. that it even happened. 
he wants he promises free uh pre-k which is like preschool and he promises a 15 dollar hour minimum wage and to put working people first jay ensley last candidate of the night he gets asked how he's going to fix the wage gap um, he says he's going to stand up for unions uh, to get help them raise m- the minimum wage. Yeah, that was the first time in a long time we've heard anybody... Mention unions. Even mention unions. Yeah, that was good. He wants to put millions of people to work in, clear, in clean energy. So basically, like, employ... Same thing as what everyone's talking about yeah. so far. I mean, unless he's got, like, an actual policy. Like, he's just saying things. Yeah. Well, that's his, I think that's them promising people a government job to work in clean, clean energy. That's how they're going to create more jobs. Um, it would probably be a private sector thing, not a, well, government supplemented. Well, the whole economy is government supplemented. He wants universal healthcare with, with reproductive rights. Um, I don't think he says whether or not he's going to abolish the private healthcare he is against detention of separate and separation of children um he says they should be released until they're here until their hearings which is like what i said um, i think that it's stupid that we're keeping them in detention centers they should just let them l- live in mexico or whatever in like a community center and then or come and go as they please rent a hotel i don't know like some something that's not a detention center he says that our biggest threat is trump and that got a lot of applause what a shocker he said democratic debate he says that there's a climate crisis and it's a huge emergency he wants to pass a hundred percent clean electric grid bill He's, and he says he's the only candidate on the stage that night that is going to make climate change their top priority. Yeah, he did say that that was going to be like the big focus of his administration if uh, he only got one chance at anything. And I mean, that does seem like a pretty good priority to have. Mm-hmm. You know, um, someone had touched on it or I think you had mentioned something earlier. Someone had said like climate change is like an elitist thing to worry about. But, you know, um, I think AOC had like a great thing or she said something great about it. You know, um, the poor aren't even going to be able to adjust once climate change really gets going. So the fact that, or, you know, the, the poor are the people who should be thinking about climate change the most because they're not going to have the resources to, you know, dodge and maneuver whichever which way, uh, like the elites would to some fucking bunker in the mountains or something. So let's get into night two. Okay. Let's start with Bernie Sanders. He gets asked if taxes are going to go up for the middle class under his Medicare for all bill. And he admits that the taxes will go up, but he says that the taxes are going to cost less than what people are paying for their health insurance right now. So because he's abolishing private health care insurance, they're not going to need to pay for health care whatsoever. 
Instead, they're going to pay taxes and that the American people are paying more for their health insurance and for their health care than they will pay for their taxes to cover Medicare, basically. Yeah, it would just be more efficient Mm -hmm. because, I mean, essentially his argument is once we cut out corporate bureaucracy, once you've consolidated all the different companies into just one big insurance pool and Mm -hmm. then you don't have to pay executives hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions or whatever it is they make Mm -hmm. then it should just be a better more efficient system for all of us and that doesn't i don't really see anything too flawed in that kind of an argument you know you cut out some executives and experience some efficiency and savings that seems to be about right he wants to completely eliminate student debt by implementing a tax on Wall Street. This is a really bold plan. None of the other candidates have come anywhere near saying something like this. Um, yeah. one, one candidate before was saying she wants to make like student loans easier to pay back or make community college free. Easier to pay back. And yeah. Like they, yeah. like they're willing to make community college free, but not like eliminate student debt and make college free. But he's promising both. There's over a trillion dollars of student debt and he just wants to wipe it clean with uh, implementing a tax on Wall Street. He says that we build out Wall Street um, during the crash and it's their turn to bail out the American people. He says that the he's during this night um, on the night where he debated, he was the only person uh, that raised his hand to abolish private health care. Kamala Harris raised her hand as well, but when she was questioned about it later, later on after, after the, the debate, debate, she said she misunderstood the question and she does not want to abolish uh, private health care. So important clarification if someone has just watched <laughs> the debate and then watched this video. Right. So you saw both Bernie and Kamala raising their hands. However, he's the only one that really meant it. She like misheard the question. Mm-hmm. Um, the moderator asks him how Medicare for all can work nationally when there hasn't been any state that's been successful in trying to implement it. And they bring up California and like other states. And we do have like a public option or something here, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and it, it works. It's good. Well, it's it's not, it's not, they didn't like abolish private health care in California. So I think that's just an unfair, stupid question. (laughs) It really is. Cause it's like, (laughs) oh, it's like, oh, it hasn't been done yet. So how are we going to do it? (laughs) It's like, what are you talking about, man? That's how things get done. You do them for the first time. Yeah, I mean, Sanders' answer is kind of like, I don't see why every other country is able to figure this out except for America. Every other first world nation on this earth is able to figure out how to give health care to its citizens in an efficient, low-cost way except for America. Um, Look, we have like a bigger country than most of Europe and we have... need to put the mic closer to you. Not a like you know, uh, a monoculture, but that it's, that shouldn't stop us from being able to have a system where, you know, when you get sick, you can go get well and then that's it period. Like then people pay your, like for that later, like mm-hmm. th- this doesn't seem that difficult. I can't believe that our best minds couldn't figure this out if we really wanted to make it happen. 
Oh, no, we totally can make it happen. It will be difficult and it's not going to be as probably um, high like class or whatever. How do you say like fancy? I don't know. It's not going to be as fancy um, as doing it under the private healthcare system, but you're going to cut costs a lot and it's just the problem with America's healthcare is that it costs so much, but it's not. Oh, that's the one cost, of the problems. The cost isn't going towards um, healing people. The cost is going towards insurance administration and the bureaucracy of it yeah, all. Or executives or advertising or any of the other normal things that a business needs to do. Insu- the private healthcare insurance is basically like a middleman. Um, the middleman between the patient and the doctor, but this middleman has had no like regulation on greed. Um, so they're able to charge whatever they want and they're able to pay the doctors whatever they want. So, uh, both doctors and patients are not happy. And I, I really think that, uh, the healthcare system should be about them and not yeah. a company. Yeah. Just, you know, cause the company is just an organization. It's a, it's an abstraction. It's not, it can't feel pain. It can't get sick like we can, you know, mm-hmm. the system should be designed for us, not for these abstract organizations to thrive. Well, they originally were established to stop doctors from being greedy and, you know, trying to make profit off of sick people. But it's ironic because they've become that greedy entity that makes profit off sick people. Um, So anyways, let's get back into Bernie. Um, He says that, Insurance companies will spend millions of dollars lying to the American people, telling them that we can't switch to single payer health insurance. Yeah, that's the other thing. They actually spend money lobbying and stuff like that, too. I mean, I don't blame them. They're like if Bernie gets elected and he passes Medicare for all, they're going to have to get real jobs. (laughs) I mean, it is a real job, but it's like so many people's livelihood. It's a billion, billion, billion dollar like industry. Like so many people are going to like really feel the the pain of having yeah but i i think it'll be good for the country in general to have those people doing things that are more productive it'll be good for the country overall because the country's going to get better health care um there's people dying here now that can't afford insulin like yeah there are people who ration their insulin or ration the medications that their doctors are giving them don't do that (laughs) um and yeah, it's like, you know, when you have to country. decide between your medicine and your place of, to live. It's like, what? Where are we? Right. I do kind of have my doubts about Medicare for all. Like how much are the doctors going to be making? Um, how much are the hospitals going to be making? Is it going to be enough to cover their costs? Because under current Medicare, it's not like Medicare really lowballs doctors yeah, and but hospitals. It make, But stuff like this, it makes me wonder you know, when the hospitals are saying, oh, we couldn't possibly like, are they saying that because they won't make the profit margin that they is, are targeting? You know, because that's how businesses think. They think I want to make 20% on my investment. And if I can't do that, it's not even worth investing. And so even if they cure, you know, people of their cancers and stuff, if they're not making money off of it, they're going to stop doing it. 
even if you don't consider healthcare to be a human right, um, I just don't see how you could um, say that it's okay for anyone in healthcare to be looking for profits. I don't see why pharmaceutical companies and um, hospitals and all that are set up like a 501c3 or whatever, like the like charities, like why aren't they run like the Red Cross or why aren't they run like a good charity is run? Like people get scared when they say like, oh, healthcare is a human right. It means you're going to like put, make the doctors into slaves to just, yeah, you know, work, work for low wages and all such that. Such an insanely ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I don't, and I don't think that's fair either. I don't, I want people to get paid fairly for their work that they're doing and doctors work hard. They have to go to to school for a very long time and their schooling is very, very expensive and they do deserve to do an important job. Right. And they do deserve to make good money. Um, the healthcare insurance though, they don't really like contribute anything towards the shuffle around money and paperwork. I mean, that's basically the job. So basically I just, believe that it should be treated more like a non-profit model versus a for-profit model like not saying that like there's ceos of non-profits that make millions of dollars like whatever like it's like there's a job that needs to be done and that's what the pay for the job is but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean the company needs to be sitting on million billions of dollars trillions of dollars in profit off the deaths of americans who can't afford health care ridiculous yeah i remember in 2008 when i think it was barack obama was starting to talk about you know a new obamacare or whatever when it was in its infancy and palin was going around talking about the death panels the death panels like oh the government's gonna have a panel that decides whether you live or die and it's and i remember that being such a, a scary thing for americans back then but i think now a lot of americans are starting to wake up and realize that you know private insurance companies doing things like rescission where they um, go back and they just make up shit about you and they find a reason to throw you off when you get sick. You know, they're acting as that private death panel. Mm -hmm. They are the thing that we feared back then. It's just, it's taken this more familiar form. So we're not as scared of it. Right. But yeah, I mean, Whoever said it in the other debate where that the system isn't working is is absolutely right. So Bennett criticized abolishing private health care and he said that most um, people like their health insurance. But Bernie jumps in and cuts him off and he says, no, uh, people don't like their insurance. They like their doctors. Um Medicare is the most popular insurance plan in the U.S. and they have more of a choice on Medicare than they do on private plans because with a private plan, um, there's like networks. Your doctor has to be covered under a certain network. It's like very complicated and you have PPO versus HMO. HMO, like you have to be referred out to people. You can't just like, you know, look up a doctor in a phone book or see like good reviews on a doctor and be like, oh, I'm going to go see that doctor. He has good reviews. Like you don't know if 
your insurance is going to cover it yeah. at all. Or if you're like traveling, I yeah. mean, then your insurance can't even come with you. Like exactly. You're, you're really only insured in the area around your workplace. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So if you take a vacation, you're not covered. You're screwed. You're, if you leave your job, you're screwed. You know, so a Medicare for all would just make sure that you're covered whether you have a job or not. Yeah. And I, and no I like, I like so. that point of like, people don't like their healthcare insurance. They like their doctors because, it's um, true. I feel like they, they want to stay within their insurance because their doctor is under this insurance. But yeah. then with Medicare for all, all doctors are going to be covered under the same insurance. You can go to literally any doctor and if and there's you, no and there's one who's no, like, no, but I want to keep paying Aetna, not taxes. <laughs> It's like, no, nobody cares whether you pay taxes or Aetna. Right. I do understand supplementing Medicare with private health care just in case, you know, um, let's say you have, there's like only a generic brand of medication that Medicare covers, uh, but there's like a name brand that Medicare doesn't cover. Um, but like you have a bad side effect to the generic brand, but not a bad side effect to the name brand because of like different ingredients and whatnot. You're going to have to pay out of pocket, like full price for the name brand stuff, which is going to be really expensive. But if you supplement the Medicare stuff with the private healthcare insurance plan, you could be like, oh, well, I only have to pay a copay for like the higher brand or the name brand medication. So yeah. I could see that argument. Again, I don't know enough about the Medicare for all to know for sure if they're going to cover every single drug and every single d doctor and every single service. But I mean, the with way the way Bernie Sanders talks, like you have to imagine if he's leading the charge, it probably would. But you never know what somebody might slip in or take out or whatever. So everybody on stage raises their hand when they were asked if that they would give health care to illegal immigrants. And this prompted Donald Trump to tweet. You know, thanks for handing me the election. I can't believe all these morons raise their hands to give health care to illegal immigrants. How about taking care of American citizens first? Which is like really funny because Donald Trump like <laughs> never taken care of American citizens or foreign citizens. Well, I mean, I think he 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 thinks and because he did like the whole tax code thing, he thinks he is taking care of the economy and that way he is taking care of yeah. citizens and you know, a lot of yeah, business sure. owners are happy with him, but he's not taking care of American healthcare whatsoever. He tried to repeal Obamacare. Um, I'm not, and I'm not and saying I'm not defending Obamacare. Not I hated Obamacare. Obamacare, but it's also yeah. like, you know, millions of people started to depend on it and then he took, he wanted to take it away without, getting them health care, basically. He says that he wants to invite leadership from Latin America to m fix the hemisphere problems, um, which, again, he's pointing out the root issue That's of the problem. He, I don't know. Yeah, it's nice that he's bringing it up, but I wish someone had something more specific to say around our foreign policy about Latin America. Um, he says we have 12 years before climate change causes irreparable damage. Um, so we need to act ASAP. I don't know where he's getting this 12 year mark. I don't I mean, know. That was a big study that came out. We had like, or I think now we don't even have 12. We have like eight. We're I mean, like running out of time to stop the warming from reaching. Like, I, I don't know how it, supposedly goes but if we're so su supposedly if we're able to l l keep 
climate change from rising to a certain amount, it won't be hell on earth. But if it goes beyond a certain point, basically we're just kind of fucked as like a civilization. It's going to make large scale organizations very difficult. I mean, I don't know. I just, I think I, I find like a problem with that because I don't really know how reliable that number is. Like we're, I need to look into like the study and stuff. I haven't done that yet. And then maybe I could talk about it later on the show, but this, like you can't even predict what the weather is going to be like next year. How are they predicting that in like a few years that we're going to have a climate catastrophe and the world's going to end? I feel like, I mean, it's not that it's all going to end at once. It's just that things start to get harder to do. Like hurricanes get bigger things. Floods happen more often. Like uh, that's what they're talking about. And so, you know, to me, it's like climate change is obvious that it's actually here now and it's starting to have an effect. So anybody who's saying what that it's not real or whatever, I mean, there's like record droughts and heat waves all over the world. There's mm-hmm. countries that are running out of water like India and South Africa. You know, there's going to be real effects from the environment, from climate change like these things that we've been doing for the past hundred years um large-scale agriculture industry um what we've been doing with just oil and gas in general like we're gonna start to see the side effects of what we've been doing right um i'm all for like anti-pollution and you know clean earth and clean energy because we only have one earth unless we are really gonna depend on mars being a backup colony or whatever. Um, that's happening. We really have one earth. So I do want to keep it as clean and, you know, as, as a good a condition as possible. I mean, we have a responsibility to hand down this planet the way we found it to our kids. And that should be true indefinitely. Yeah. I'm not a fan of like nuclear waste or just pollution or anything that's going to harm the environment. But at the same time, I feel like, the climate change issue there is a lot of debate on it because they're just like pushing it's like a it's like a policy like a power play like it's it's less about cleaning up it's less about like cleaning up the environment cleaning up the earth and making the earth a better place and more about like politics and that's what what jades a lot of people about it and a lot of the people who fight against climate change now or like who are big climate change deniers they were also hired by the tobacco industry in like the 70s and 80s to fight against or might have been earlier but they were hired by the tobacco industry to also fight against you know the the medical research of cancer being caused by tobacco. So it's some it's in some cases it's even Why the same exact people. Why would they hire the same people? Because they're the people who are willing to you know be scientists and oh, okay. just do that. Got so it. you know there's but that just like takes away all their credibility. I mean, sorry about the noise, but they but it doesn't because people still treat like you know uh, that's part of why we wanted to call it the nonpartisan report rather than the bipartisan report because the news media makes it seem like, oh, there's two sides. Okay, each side is equally valid, but that's not the case. Like these people are being paid by 
like million dollar or billion dollar oil and gas companies. They're not the same as this, the climate scientists who just study climate at like, you know, a public university or that something are not like that. Biased. Yeah. And I mean, they, they probably have their own biases, but the, the bias of the scientist working for a corporation is more self-evident than a, the bias of a, you know, a climate scientist at some university somewhere. Um, so Bernie says that he wants um, an assault weapon buyback policy, and he also wants an assault weapon ban. Um, he gets asked, what's the number one issue that you're going to work on on your presidency? Because um, not every uh, issue that Obama wanted to work on got done. I think he only got one, done one thing and that was Obamacare. So the moderator was asking, what's your one issue if you can only get one thing done because our government is so inefficient and can't get shit done? Um, <laughs> um, what is the one thing that you're going to work at? And he says that there's not one issue more important than the other. We need a whole political revolution and take on special interests um, that, you know, stop our government from being efficient, which I think is yeah. a good answer. Yeah. I mean, he kind of went into his stump speech, but you know, his stump speech is a perfect answer to the question. Like his whole career has been a perfect answer to that question. So I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's about just getting like all the change that we can possibly get in one presidency, I guess is what he's trying to say. He promises to do everything he can to prevent war with Iran. Um, he wants to create a pathway to citizenship for illegal immigrants, but does not want open borders. Um, I don't really understand how he could like want those things, but not want open borders <laughs> because basically if you're going to like not punish people that are here illegally and give them citizenship, then you're basically having an open border. So I don't understand that argument. Um, he said that he agreed with Kamala Harris on immigration. Um, we'll get into what she said later, but uh, he agrees with all her immigration points and he threatened to rescind every immigration policy enacted by the Trump administration via executive order. He also suggested hosting a summit with Central American and Mexican leadership to find out why citizens are fleeing their countries. I mean, it's pretty obvious why we exported like Mexican gangs back to those countries. And then the, the gangs went wild. Like it's pretty self-evident what happened. So let's get into Joe Biden. He didn't do very well at all. As I was watching it, I mm -mm. was like, Oh no. Mm -mm. And if you saw that graph from earlier, I mean, he had the most moderator questions. The They tried to help him out the most, mm -hmm. and he really did not. I don't know. He didn't do a lot with it. We'll and as all, the, as all the politicians were, like, interrupting each other and, you know, trying to get a word in, like, as soon as his time was up, he'd be like, oh, okay. Oh, I'm yep, he would volunteer <laughs> that time. They wouldn't even, like, ask him about it they or try to stop him. him. He would just volunteer terribly, like, oh, I'm done. Like yeah. he was, I think maybe they have like a light like that tells them when they're done, but all the other politicians else ignored, ignored it. it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, then still the fact that he didn't ignore it, I think is strange. 
Um, it just seemed like, you know, when you're the front runner, like he's been, there's only one way to go and that's down. So he was, I think, desperate to not say anything. And he did a lot of not saying anything by talking quite a bit. Um, so the very first question he gets asked is about that leaked video where he said nothing will fundamentally change to his donors. Like he's saying like, you know, sponsor me. Like he's not really I know there's change. Yeah. He's like, there's a progressive wave going on and they're just like too out of control. And I'm just going to make sure that nothing fundamentally changes. Like that's his exact quote. Nothing will fundamentally change under his presidency in an, in a cli- in a political climate where the voters are begging for change and yeah. they hate like the system and they hate and the corruption. What's so hilarious to me about that is that Barack Obama's like campaign slogan was hope and change. But so nothing changed. Yeah. <laughs> he was pushed so 2.0. And now you realize like, Oh, he hired Biden. Huh. That's weird. That's weird that the hope and change candidate hired a guy who is now saying promise nothing is going to fundamentally change. I'm promising you nothing will change. Well, nothing changed under Obama, really. Like in foreign policy, everything stayed the same. Like it might as well have been George W. Bush's third term, as far as I could tell. Um, so he gets asked this question, which I was shocked by. I was like, whoa. Um, but yeah, that was like up front too, yeah. right off the bat. That was early. Um, he says, look, I know there's income inequality and it's really bad and I will fix it by eliminating Trump's tax cuts for the wealthy. But the income inequality <laughs> was there before, before the, the tax, tax cuts. cuts. So it's not bad enough answer. to just be anti-Trump. Yeah. You could see why he did horribly on the polls or why he's down 10 points. Um, so what's that guy's name? Uh, Hickenlooper? No. Yeah. No, John no, no. Hickenlooper? Uh, the other one, the one that was wearing the ribbon, Swalwell. So Swalwell kept saying like, pass the torch, pass the torch mm, to the yeah. next generation. And yeah. He's eager to get the ball and get in there, but yeah. And, uh, and uh, he was actually quoting Joe Biden. So Joe Biden, he says, wait a second, I'm keeping the torch. And the way I'm going to keep it is that I'm going to triple the amount of money sent to Title I schools. I'm going to offer free preschool, free community college. Anyone making less than $25,000 a year doesn't have to pay back their student loan debt. And their their debt gets frozen. Right. Doesn't have to pay back their student loan debt until they make over $25,000 a year. And during that time, which is twenty five thousand, is nothing. Yeah, and until they make twenty five thousand dollars a year, there's going to be no interest payments accumulated until they get beyond that salary. Um, he wants to make continuing education available for everyone, so that everyone can p- can compete in the twenty first century economy. I mean, how is someone supposed to compete as soon as they get a job that pays more than what? What is, what is 20, that's 12 and a half dollars an hour. So as soon as that's you less get paid than the $15 more than, minimum, <laughs> yeah, as soon as you get paid more than $13 an hour, Joe Biden wants to slap you with that student loan debt, like right back on you. Yeah. So how are you even supposed to get any job? I mean, it doesn't make sense because some, a lot of the student loans are like tens of thousands, more than tens of thousands of dollars, like for sure. 
some of them are six figures, a hundred thousand dollars and up. Well, what if somebody yeah. goes to a private school, gets an art degree, can't find a job being a professor like they've always wanted or just didn't do well enough to get into continue their education. Mm -hmm. So their fallback plan is okay. Now I have to find a job that doesn't utilize my degree or doesn't utilize any degree because I can't use this degree for anything. And then they have to make minimum wage, but they have a hundred thousand dollars in debt and they're making $25,000 a year and they still have to pay it back. That person is still screwed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every extra cent that that person earns goes straight to a bank. If so any it's just like, God, what kind of sick slavery is that? I mean, if anything, that student, that person is probably going to want to just stay unemployed so that they'll never have to pay back their student debt. And they're just going to be like, okay, I guess I just have to work under the table for the rest of my life, not collect any income taxes or yeah. anything that proves I have an income. <laughs> yeah. If not just like flee the whole country because <laughs> you have this like debt that you can't discharge. Yeah. You can't go bankrupt on a student loan debt. It's impossible. They yeah, won't let they you won't do let it. You. Um, he wants, instead of doing Medicare for all, um, he wants to build on Obamacare. Which is expected, you know, that it was Barack Obama's classic thing. He was the VP. He's going to want to build it, protect it. Um, so when the moderator asks who here is going to cover healthcare for undocumented immigrants, um, everybody raised their hands on stage, including Biden. But then the moderator asked him why he didn't raise his hand. And then it, there was like some confusion because he was like, no, no, I did raise my hand. And then she points out like, Oh, that's different than Obamacare. Cause under Obamacare, it wasn't, he didn't cover illegal immigrants, healthcare. Um, are you, so you're going to do something a little different. And he said, yeah, that, um, he's going to add that to Obamacare and that's like a way he's going to add on to Obamacare. And he says by doing that, it'll bring down the overall healthcare costs because, um, these Ill illegal immigrants will be seen sooner before it's an, an expensive emergency because like in American hospitals, like they can't turn away anyone. Like if you're dying, they have to treat you. Like they can't just let you die because you can't afford it. Mm -hmm. So he's saying that like, instead of, illegal immigrants waiting until that point of like dying like yeah. to get them treated sooner. So it's less expensive. And I mean, that'll be true across the board when if, or if Medicare for all becomes a thing, like how many different kinds of like procedures or tests would you want to do if you didn't have to pay like a thousand dollars to get them done? Um, I don't know. I don't really agree with paying healthcare for illegal immigrants at all. So I don't agree with it, any of the candidates on this. Um, I don't know. I think that, that the paying for healthcare makes a lot more sense than the not uh, arresting for crossing the border illegally. Cause you know, if someone is here and they are like making a life for themselves, even if they are under the table and all that, like there's, that's still like a family here in our country. And you know, we're, even if they aren't a citizen, like they're still here. And if they're sick, then that's like a family in America that's not doing as good as it could. I don't think it should be the responsibility of our government to cover that. I think that that's something that like private charities can help with. I don't agree 
that every single person in America should make it their responsibility to pay for every single person's health care that came here illegally. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. I mean, you can say that, but I don't think, like, letting people just wallow in their own sickness is, like, the way to go either. I don't want know? them to wallow in their own sickness either. Well, that's what you're effectively but letting them do if, no, you're, if you I won't treat them. No, I'm saying that us treating them should be a charitable act, not a required act. There's a difference. Like, I we, mean, we what's should... what's the difference? The difference is that a charity is a choice and then a tax is a tax. Like, you're forced to pay for them versus... Or do you want to be the better person and pay for them? I do feel like there's more than enough Americans that would love to, you know, fund charities that would pay for like illegal immigrants. But I don't but think the healthcare wouldn't be as good. And I mean, you can't set up a whole extra organization once like the Medicare for all thing gets going, because then isn't it that supposed to be like the whole system? The healthcare would be as good. They would just cover it. It's, it's the same health care. It's just the the chair. The cost should be covered through charitable means, not through like taxation means. It doesn't make sense. A person that is not paying taxes to receive benefits. But from illegal the taxes, immigrants do pay taxes. Not as much as legal immigrants. I mean, they still pay taxes. Not as much. They, <laughs> not, still pay. they don't they don't pay their fair share. Doesn't I mean, doesn't make to sense. Say what's fair. They don't pay as much as everybody else. That's not fair. I mean, they're not citizens. They don't get the other benefits that we get. So they just shouldn't get that benefit. Healthcare is a human right. I, I don't know. I, I think that everybody should be able to like get healthcare if they need it. But I don't, I don't want to be forced to pay for someone that I, that I don't have any responsibility to pay for. I mean, we just have a responsibility to each other, no matter who we are. It's just part of being human and part of like a civilization and a species. I mean, you know, we can say that all we want, but like, you know, teachers still educate people and, you know, do all those things. So it's just part of being in a civilization. We pay for each other. We sacrifice for each other. It's just what it is. I think that's just going to lead a lot of people taking advantage of a safety net that was meant for the safety net is meant to be taken advantage of. That's why it's that, there. That's that why it's a that safety ruins net. The safety net. No, using the safety net does not ruin the safety net. That's what makes it a safety net. Overusing it will ruin it. Depleting. No, it won't. Yeah, it will. <laughs> no, cause we can always just print more dollars. That's what we always do. I don't agree with that, but let's move on. Um, <laughs> can always print more dollars. Um, okay, so they do. He said, "No, dude, that that's the whole reason why we have inflation. That shouldn't be the answer. That's a bad answer. That's a bad answer to the problem. That's gonna make more problems." So let's just move on because you're not gonna change your mind about this. Um, he okay. is saying that illegal immigrants expand the life of social security because they pay like a social security tax and they'll never see the benefit of the social security, but it doesn't make sense because they'll only be paying for social security if they get a legal job and you can't get a legal job without 
like some sort of like at least papers like DACA yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you have to provide some sort of, I don't know, paperwork or something. I know like DACA can, people can get a job, but that's only like a couple million out of the 11 million illegals. So yeah. that's not, that's barely expanding the life of social security. It's not, it doesn't even make a huge impact. He wants to put insurance executives in jail for the opioid crisis. He wants to send billions of dollars of aid to Latin American regions so that less people will want to leave the region. He wants to reunite families at the border, even though the Obama administration was the one that separated the families. Um, he never brought that up. Mod the moderator asks him directly if an illegal immigrant's only offense was crossing the border should that person be deported and biden tries to dodge the question and then the mod keeps bringing him back yes or no so biden says that no the person should not be the focus of deportation which means that he does believe they should be deported because they're in here illegally and i agree with that so but they shouldn't be the focus of deportation we should focus on like people who are breaking yeah, the actual law. laws being like, actual violent criminals. But crossing the border illegally, you should um, also be deported, he believes. Um, he, denies, he denies Kamala Harris. Um, oh, sorry. I need to get into what Kamala Harris talks about. I'll talk to her about her later, but I'll bring it back remember when she like attacked him mm -hmm. <laughs> um so he wants to build five hundred thousand recharging stations so that vehicles can be fully electric by 2030 which is huge um that's, yeah that's soon that's I a mean, big promise it, i mean it's not like it couldn't be done it's like you know just replace all the gas infrastructure that we have now with I don't know I guess battery or some whatever it is that these cars are supposedly going to run on like it's it's not undoable but mm -hmm. that's uh, it's ambitious he wants um, to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord of course he wants to put more money into research for green energy he defends everything the Obama administration has done um, every time, every time the moderators say like, "Oh, Obama wasn't able to do this," or "Obama did this," he always defends Obama. Yeah, he's pretty much gonna have to do that his whole, I guess, political career from here on out. Because any kind of question on the Barack Obama administration will well, immediately. Well, he was the vice president. Yeah, well, exactly. It'll immediately raise questions on him. Yeah, about his like competency, competency, and competency, loyalty, whatever. Um, his number one issue, he says, for when he's president is to defeat Donald Trump. Which doesn't make any <laughs> sense. You would have already defeated Donald Trump. <laughs> if he becomes but, president, but you know, okay. He was just trying to say shit yeah. at that point in the debate. Anybody who talked crap about Donald Trump got a lot of feedback, good feedback from the audience. So Yeah, but I don't think that that's really going to translate into much. Uh, the moderator asked why we should trust his judgment. Uh, when he voted for the Iraq war and then later says that he regrets it. 
Um, It's going to be real great when you regret starting a nuclear war with Iran, but, (laughs) you know, I guess we'll forgive him. Yeah, he kind of like dodges the question. Um, He says that, you know, he realizes that it was wrong and he's going to like right the wrong. He wants to like remove the troops out of Afghanistan. He wants to repair alliances with our um, allies so that he they can help us respond to terrorism and yada, yada, yada. So that was basically all of Biden. Really underwhelming, really bad. Um, so let's get into Kamala Harris who knocked it out of the park. She did really, really, really well. And the polling is saying yeah. the same thing. Actually, our I'll methods s- and all the other polls that we've seen like from public mm-hmm. sources. So she also was able to raise $2 million 24 hours after the debate. I think that was like the most raised all at once after the debate. So she was like the clear winner. And I even told Ryan as we were watching the debate, I was like, she's going to win. <laughs> I don't know if she'll win, but she's, uh, she's, I expect her to be one of the last ones remaining in the, in the primary at the very least. Oh, I don't know if she's going to win the presidency. I was talking about the debate. Oh yeah. I mean her and Julian Castro, we saw pretty much took the debate for themselves. Julian Castro surprises me. I thought a lot of people were going to be really kind of freaked out about his uh, decriminalization bill, but I guess a lot of Democrats are for it. Yeah, I don't think that that's as big an issue as like a lot of people are trying to make it out to be. So... The moderator asked Kamala Harris if Democrats have a responsibility to explain how they will cancel student debt and give free health care and all these other progressive proposals. If they have a responsibility to explain how they're going to pay for these things. She dodges the question and she is says, well, where was this question when Donald Trump passed the tax cuts to the wealthy that contributed one trillion dollars to our deficit and the economy is not working for working people. She wants to change the tax code to give $500 a month of credit for everyone who makes under $100,000 a year. I kind of don't know if I, she like mixed up her words or if I just misunderstood her, but it's, I had to like go back and repeat what she said, but she I don't know if it was a $500 one-time credit for everyone who makes under a hundred under a hundred thousand or if it was $500 a month, which I don't see how you knock off $500 a month off of people's taxes. If they make under a hundred thousand dollars a year, (laughs) it doesn't make sense. Um, so yeah. So she basically like dodges the question about, oh, we don't have to explain how we're going to pay for it. Why doesn't Donald Trump explain how he's going to pay for all these tax cuts? Like, hello, we are in $22 trillion of debt. Nobody, no candidate wants to fix it. No candidate wants to fix this issue. They're not going to touch it with a 10-foot pole. There's no way. Oh, my God. To me personally, like, I really wish there was any candidate that was talking about the debt calculator that keeps, like, ticking up, 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 up. How much higher could it get before... Uh, America I mean, goes bankrupt. It, it can. Well, the the thing of it is, we have to be able to pay back the interest payments, 
And so as our debt gets higher, interest, of course, gets higher. And so as interest starts to eat up more of our tax revenue, eventually we have to start taking out more loans to pay back more interest. And then, um, but so it, it, these interest payments are going to eat up more and more of the revenue from taxes. And as they eat up more and more, we have to take out more loans to keep paying for all the different programs that we want. And eventually, you know, when interest payments get more than tax revenue, then the government just defaults. And that is like a, an actual concern, especially with the Fed trying to raise interest rates, which would, of course, raise interest payments. Um, so, you know, it is a precarious kind of financial situation that we're kind of coming up on. Don't you, wouldn't you agree that that's more of an issue than, I don't know, climate change and all these no. other, no? No, no the these sorts of things are abstract details we'll find a way to figure out a new game to play hopefully climate change is actually changing the planet the physical planet so i think that that is far more uh of a pressing matter than than the debt that's fair um plus i i mean it's kind of a wild speculation, but you know, with these new cryptocurrencies, it's it could be an entirely feasible thing that we all just start using things like Ethereum and Bitcoin and stuff like that, and then we just don't use the dollar and we just never pay that back. Hmm. At least what? it's like you think that's possible? As far as like normal people, like you could totally be in a situation where you don't work with dollars at all and then you won't have to worry about that. What regime America will like do a regime change on, on, <laughs> on, on itself. itself. <laughs> yeah. We'll find out. I um, mean, that was wild speculation, but I think that that might actually be the thing to do because paying back 22 trillion. Crashes. Well, I mean just in general, like even if things go well, like who the fuck wants to really pay back $22 trillion? So she says that Donald Trump thinks that America is doing great because of the economy is doing well. And the moderator points out that, you know, in when Donald Trump, when you, if you're ever going to have to debate him, he's going to bring up how well the economy is doing. How are you going to combat that point? And Kamala Harris says that Donald Trump thinks America is doing great because of the economy, but what is the economy really measuring? It's measuring the stock market. How many American families own stock? Not a lot. Um, just because the stock market is doing well, it's not true. It's not a true measure of the economy. Unemployment numbers are low, she says, but that's because people are working two and three jobs. And she says... That's not how the unemployment numbers work, but I take her point. That I kind of picked... I, I actually thought about that too right now. I was like... Because don't they... That wouldn't the, the, the lower the unemployment rate if someone has two jobs. <laughs> <laughs> they're not so doubly the employed. They're they're still just employed. The, according the to that, the unemployment number. rate is measuring the number of people that are employed, not the number of jobs that are available and are not being filled. So. Yeah. So, it was just a kind of funny slip of the tongue she had. Nobody picked up on it. Um, she says no one in America should need to work more than one job to have a roof over their head and food on the table. And there's, she got a huge round of applause from that. Um, Which is like a typical like Bernie thing to say. 
Yeah. And again, borrowing from Bernie's talking points. Um, Again, she, she did raise her hand about abolishing private health insurance. Her and Bernie were the only ones that raised their hands. But then later on, she clarified that she misunderstood the question and she doesn't actually want to eliminate private health care. She doesn't want to sign on to Bernie's bill. Um, she does for the rest of the debate, though. She bashes private health insurance companies for being too greedy for profits. So I guess that just means she's fine with their greed. She won't stop them from being greedy. Yeah. So, so. I actually don't even buy that she misunderstood the question. I think she just changed her mind. Yeah. I think she like just did what is doing whatever, you know, she thinks will win her political points at that time. Yeah. I mean, this this flip-flopping thing, like, there's really only one way to interpret it, and it's with, like, the least charitable interpretation, as far as I I can tell. Unless there's, like, a real reason why you might think there's a different explanation, I I would say default to they're a lying person. They're just lying. She promises to reinstate DACA protection with an executive order and to extend deportation protection to parents of DACA recipients. So illegal immigrants who come here and have children and their children are, um, or sorry, they come here, they bring their children who were already born somewhere else. So they're not American. Um, they received DACA because they came here when they were a child. It was against their will. But she's also going to give the parents of the child uh, protection from deportation. Um, which, again, is I, f- I feel like she's just encouraging people to come here illegally. So um, she gives a story to try to humanize illegal immigrants. She says, you know, a mom who pays a coyote to put her and her child's life at risk to sneak into our country. And Donald Trump has the nerve to send her back where she came from. I just, I don't understand that logic. Just because it's worse where that woman lives, it means we have the responsibility to let her live here. Like anybody who has it worse can come here and be like, Hey, I have it worse in my country. Like take it. Will you take me and my kid? Like we have to say yes to everyone. Like that's her argument. Um, she's questioned if a person's only crime was coming here illegally, if they should be deported. She says, no, that person should never get deported. So it's completely opposite of what Biden said. Like, because Biden believed that, you know, if you're here illegally, that's enough of a crime yeah. to get deported. But for her, like, if you come here Ill- illegally, it doesn't mean you get deported. It means you can stay um, as long as you make it through the border. She says she disagreed with Obama on deporting illegal immigrants. Um, so she directed the sheriffs of California not to comply with um, ICE detainers and that they should make decisions based on the interest of their community, not what ICE wants. So she basically told like all the police force, like, you know, if ICE comes here and tries to deport people, you don't have to, you can, you can protect. Yeah. You don't have to work with them or something. Mm -hmm. So she brings up racism and 
she personally experienced the racism growing up and then she calls out Biden and she says, you know, Biden, I don't think you're personally racist, but I am so hurt that you worked with two politicians that built their career on defending segregation and opposed busing. I personally um, depended on busing to my school and I was like the first African-American in my school. Yeah, she brought that up. But I think that the important part of that exchange was when Biden tried to come back and say, you know, I that that's not what I supported. You're mischaracterizing me. I um, wanted like the local schools or whatever to do the busing or whatever. And Kamala said, you know, well, that's nice, but when schools won't do it, it's the federal government's job to step in and make sure that you know people's rights are being respected and all that. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, that that was a really that big a moment point. for yeah. Kamala. Yeah. Um, cause it was a huge issue, like during segregation, like the states didn't want to comply with segregation, like local police didn't want to comply with desegregation and the federal government has to step in and be like, listen, like, you know, like you have to stop being racist (laughs) and they're like, no, we want to be racist. Yeah. So her number one issue she said was passing middle-class working families tax cut that $500 a month thing that she mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. She wants to reinstate DACA and she wants to focus on gun violence, but doesn't say like what she's going to do for guns. Um, oh, never mind. Actually, she said that she was going to pass background checks for guns by executive order, universal background checks for guns by executive order. I guess that's what she promises that she was going to do. So Hickenlooper, the mod asks, which policies are socialist? Hickenlooper says that Democrats have to fight the socialist label because the Republicans will use it against them to scare people away from voting for the Democratic Party. And he says he's against abolishing private health insurance. Um, he wants to reform ICE to engage in a more humanitarian way. He says his city improved police accountability. He says socialism is not the solution to climate change because we can't just give everyone a government job to create green energy. We need to work with other businesses to beat climate change. His number one issue was climate change. And Mm -hmm. that was that. Didn't really speak much. Yeah, he only got a couple of questions. And I think he's already like, um, I think he's like already not doing well in the campaign. I think like he's trying to drop out or something soon. Um, so Gillibrand, she was a firecracker. She kept trying to interrupt the entire debate. I was was starting to get really annoyed with her. Honestly, she was just like, like that teacher's pet. She really wanted to to be like in every single conversation she, and it didn't come off good. Like, you know, when you're trying to make those kinds of interjections, I feel like they got to be good interjections because mm-hmm. if you're just going to start hogging time for yourself and just to kind of say whatever, whatever, you know, it kind of wears on people after a while, I feel like. Yeah, she did have some good things to say, though. She did, yeah. Yeah, she said she um, wants a buy-in transition period for Medicare for All plan, and she says that she won a lot of red districts with the buy-in option. Um 
so she's like proving that she can like work with republicans Mm -hmm. or conservatives uh she says she wants to fight for immigration reform she wants a pathway to citizenship for illegal immigrants she wants to reform how we treat asylum seekers at the border um she was the one that mentioned community-based treatment centers um like working with the community to have them housed there instead of detention centers Mm. she wants asylum seekers to be given lawyers uh she wants immigration judges to be appointed at the border for life um she wants more funding for border security she points out that trump took away funds from border security and gave them to for-profit prisons for the um child detention centers for and asylum seeker detention centers she says she wants the number one thing that she says she wants is clean elections um, she wants to take out the money of politics with publicly funded elections. Um, this is which is the only person who said anything about like just corruption in general and yeah, and, and I really debates. I really feel like for to get to the bottom of any corruption, like we have to start doing clean elections and doing publicly funded elections. And she's the only candidate that like said that, and that is something that I have believed for myself for like. A pretty long time yeah um she says that her number one issue is passing a family bill of rights that offers more paid leave she wants universal uh preschool and affordable daycare which i think would help american people a lot but what does that mean affordable daycare like how, what is the president supposed to do that's supposed to provide people affordable daycare um, I don't know. I guess I mean, like I'm a, sure there's taxes, I guess that they could switch around or something. Yeah. But, but I, I do, I, s- I do see the need for, um, both parents to be working in our economy. Um, it's really rare where, um, unless the dad makes a lot of money that the woman can just stay at home and have them live comfortably. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with more than one kid. So I do think it's a really big problem that there needs to be more paid family leave. Um, There needs to be more um, affordable options for daycare so that they can go to work. If they, if neither mom or dad could bring in a lot of money, they could both work and bring in good money together. Yeah. Um, So let's move on to Bennett. He wants to give people a choice between Medicare for all and private health insurance He said, this is the one that got in the altercation with Bernie about Medicare for all. Mm. He says Vermont rejected Medicare for all because of the tax increases. And Bernie laughed when he said this and he shook his head and he was like, no, but he didn't like cut Ben off. He just said like, no, you're wrong. So I don't know what that means. Um, Bennett says 35 million people in Canada there, sorry, Bennett says there's 35 million people in Canada and there's a lot more people in America. And that's why Medicare for all works in Canada. And it just not, doesn't work here because we have a much bigger population and our, it's just not the same like circumstances. There's no way that we could get it done. Like we're too big of a country. Um, he's strongly against Medicare for all and banning all private healthcare insurance. Um, he's also the only one that didn't raise his hand in favor of decriminalizing crossing the border. So him and Biden so far are the only ones. Yeah, I think so. Um, he does want a pathway to citizenship for current illegal immigrants. 
Um, he wants to overturn Citizen United, gerrymandering, and root out corruption in Washington. His number one issue was climate change, lack of economic mobility. And he said the lack of economic mobility that Bernie talks about. <laughs> yeah, he literally mentioned another candidate in his answer, his like two word answer. So it's like, oh, well, why vote for you? Why not vote for the person you're talking about? Yeah, but he was really against Bernie's Medicare for all bill, though. So it sets him apart in that way. I guess. I don't see how you can, you know, acknowledge the the things that Bernie's talking about and then say that, that he's got the wrong answers and then provide no answers yourself and still expect to do well. So let's move on to Buttigieg. Buttigieg. Um, the moderator speaks Spanish to him and he responds in Spanish. I don't know why. It was so cringy. He's not Mexican. And it wasn't a question about Mexico or immigration or anything. He asked him, why won't he support eliminating student debt? And Buttigieg responds that he thinks college should be affordable, not free. He says that he personally has six-figure student loan debt. And um, so he understands like the struggles but he so he but wants he's also a mayor and a <laughs> lot of other things. So I don't know if he really does. Um, he did mention that he wants to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. He says he agrees with Gillibrand with the buy in option for Medicare for all. So Medicare for all is the basic plan. And then you can like buy in, um, buy into it or opt out of it if you want to keep private health care only. Um, he says that illegal immigrants deserve health care and it's not a and it's not a ha handout because they do play pay some taxes like sales tax and property taxes. Um, he says he wants to give pathway to citizenship for the 11 million undocumented immigrants that we currently have and he wants protections for dreamers. He argues that the American people have come to a consensus that they all want these things, but it's the White House that divided us on this issue, which I think is total BS because Donald Trump won his election with the premise of build the wall. And he's saying, oh, the American people all want um, all the undocumented immigrants to get citizenship and the American people all want all this stuff, but it's the White House that's stopping it from happening. It's like, do you even know what's going on on the Republican side? Do you watch any, like, Republican news or anything? Like, no. Like, he's yeah. totally well, out Well, I of mean, touch. again, it's the Democratic primary, not the general. So they're all just going to be pandering to the... To the Democrats. To the, yeah, they're, I mean, they're trying to be the most lefty they can be so that... That's not going to be the winning strategy. It is the winning strategy in the primary. That's oh. what gets people out to vote for you. That's <laughs> what you do. You go far left in the primary to get Oh, so he's just going to change his mind later. <laughs> yeah, that's what they always do. And then they pivot to the right in the middle. And then the Republicans do the same on their end. They always, you know, we'll talk big game about like whatever, whatever, whatever. And then they'll pivot to the left or the center when the general comes around. Um, he, this was a really crazy point of the debate when he was questioned about, um, the white officer shooting a black man when his body camera was off, um, in his city mm -hmm. when, he, as he was mayor. And he also got questioned, why is there a 6% black police force? 
but there's 26% of black people in his city. Um, and I mean, it was big of him. He just admitted like, he just said, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And I mean, it's not, I don't even know how much of that's really his fault or and how much he should really accept blame for that. But I guess good on him for accepting blame for something. No politician normally does that. But, but, but they were, but they uh, were, no, but I think he made it seem like he was a failure. Like he couldn't even get yeah, this done. I think that was a bad answer. Yeah. He couldn't even get something as simple as hiring more black police people in his city. How is he going to fix anything in the country? That's yeah. way harder. Um, he says, um, Swalwell cuts in and he says, why don't you fire him? Why don't you fire your police chief? Someone died. Why don't you just fire him? And yeah. Buttigieg just looks at him like he wants to kill him. <laughs> yeah. He was real mad about that. But Swalwell did. I mean, he, he cut in not quite as much as Gillibrand, but I thought he had some good, uh, some good interjections. Yeah. We're going to get to him next. Um, he's, so Buttigieg wants to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord, of course. He said his number one issue was to fix our democracy, and he wants universal background checks for guns. So jumping into Swalwell, I thought it was interesting that he wore the orange ribbon to the debate. What was the um, orange ribbon? It symbolizes um, ending gun violence. Oh. Um, There's just too many ribbons. Uh, so... He initially starts out saying uh, he needs Biden needs to pass the torch on to the new generation to solve modern day issues. Uh, doesn't really explain how he just says, he pass just the says, torch, yeah, pass the torch. he just is calling for the ball, but can't really shoot the three pointer. Uh, he got questioned if a person's only crime was coming here illegally. Should they be deported? Um, he says, no, that person should never get deported. Uh Buttigieg, he tells Buttigieg he should have fired the police chief. And then his number one issue, of course, like I figured from the orange ribbon, was gun violence. So he didn't really talk much. He tried to give him any questions. They didn't give him. Yeah, definitely uh, took it upon himself to make him himself a part of the debate. That's for sure. Yeah, he kept he's like a little kid that's like sitting at the adult dinner table and he's like, me, 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 me. (laughs) I want to talk. Yeah. (laughs) Same thing as Gillibrand, like him. Gillibrand and Swalwell have that vibe, that energy. Um, Going on to Andrew Yang, I was really disappointed with Andrew Yang's performance. Um, He went on later, uh, tweeted saying that he... His his mic mic might have been cut or something like that. He said his mic was muted, so he wasn't able to interject even when he wanted to. It doesn't make sense because Swalwell and and Gillibrand... Gillibrand, None of them had their... um, But I think... um, Marianne Williamson also said that her mic was muted. She ended up able to talk a little bit more than Yang, but, um, but she really had to force herself. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and she was such a character too, but we'll get into her last. Um, so Andrew Yang gets asked, his first question is about the freedom dividend, which is what he's most known for. Yeah. His classic, um, idea to give $1,000 a month free and clear to every American. No questions asked. Right. Um, so he gets asked, how are you going to pay for this? And he says he wants to do a value added income tax on top corporations that get away with paying 
no taxes with loopholes. Like, and he names these big corporations like Amazon, Apple, like not like little mom and pop businesses or small businesses or even like medium sized businesses, but like really big corporations. Like, yeah. So income taxes, I mean, so how businesses or business tax, I guess works is, you know, you get your revenue and then you spo- you're supposed to take away your expenses. Right. And that's your profit. And then they tax that, but there's so many different ways and loopholes or, you know, little tricks that accountants can do to inflate expenses or to um, make revenue look lower than it is so that they don't have to pay. And so the idea of having a value added tax is that you just go in there before they can do any of this kind of manipulation and you just get the money. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very, it's a much more reliable tax. They can't escape it quite as easily. Um, and so, you know, it's a good idea, actually, if you're going to pay for something that's supposed to be reliable like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says that, so we don't do value added tax at all in America, mm-hmm. but if he's, he's, Europe does it obviously, and they actually have a pretty high rate. If we do only half of the European rate, it would bring in $800 billion of never, new revenue. You know, he's said that and I've seen his stump speech uh, around and he's never actually said what the European level is. I never hear him actually say like a percentage. So I think that would be interesting to, uh, to actually get him to say somewhere. I mean, businesses are able to operate in Europe and be really successful and yeah, it's not like Europe's a small market. Yeah. I know people complain about, Oh, like uh, it's not free or whatever. And taxes are high, but Mm, I hear more people complaining about American healthcare, American education and American like social services than European taxes. Okay. I hear a lot more complaining about that. Um, So Andrew Yang says that Russia is the greatest geopolitical threat for hacking our democracy, which I thought was so weird and off base for him. Yeah. I've never heard him talk about that before. Yeah, Uh, And I don't agree with, Russia being our greatest geopolitical threat. Yeah. I mean, even if they did hack our democracy, they still wouldn't be our greatest geopolitical threat. It would still be climate change or China, I feel like. Um, And he says that he wants a working trade relationship with China, but the tariffs are the wrong way to go. Um, His number one issue is the freedom dividend. And when he said this, the audience laughed. I thought that was weird. Yeah. Well, they also pack those debates with like... I mean, the the lowest ticket to get in was $1,700. So you can imagine the kind of person who would go to that debate probably doesn't need $1,000 a month. Yeah, that's probably like chump change to them. Something like that. Or they just think that, oh, how what a ridiculous like proposal, even though, I don't know, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Like we are all Americans and we are all supposed to be a part of this country and Mm -hmm. you know the the things that google facebook amazon they're profiting off of is just they're literally profiting off of the fact that the fourth amendment doesn't protect us so it makes perfect sense to me that we would tax the crap out of them and then just redistribute that money to to everybody literally everybody the fourth amendment doesn't protect us so the fourth amendment it, it protects us from the government getting our paper our papers our uh, information it's essentially supposed to be the it right to privacy us. so it does protect us but it protects no, us from the it, government it protects us from the government not but from corporations yeah but so now google and facebook they just they do it they collect the data and, and then, then they, they sell it, it to, to the, the government. CIA. so 
you know, the it all just kind of like skirts around the Constitution and doesn't outright violate it. Mm, awful. Yeah, isn't it lovely? So his number one issue is the freedom dividend, um, and then his slogan is "Not left, not right, forward," which I agree I like with. That, yeah. As a nonpartisan <laughs> person, I agree we should not be looking left, not right, but forward. Yep. Um. So Marianne Williamson, last candidate before this show ends. She was such a character. I loved her. I loved her like Southern charm, like belle of the ball, like type yeah. persona. Um, she was super funny. Um, but she also had some real stuff to say. Like I was really impressed by her talking points. Absolutely. I think she, of all the candidates of both nights, I think I was like the most impressed with her. Like this was the first time anybody had ever brought up like, having a politics of love and having like, she sounded like an old school hippie almost up there compared to them. <laughs> so, I mean, that was just wonderful. I like that. Um, she said that we don't have a healthcare system. We have a sick sickness system and that superficial fixes are not enough. So, um, Absolutely. we, we have a system in America where we wait to get sick and then we like argue about who's going to pay for it. Um, we should be, uh, you know, teaching people how to take care, better care of themselves, have better diets. And, you know, that's all tied up with like the, um, agriculture, the, uh, yeah, she said, she, you know, she, she wanted to bring up and talk about environmental policy, food policy. Yeah. Like she wanted to go in deep with it. But, yeah. you know, it was, it was and, a debate. And she's right. So they she's, weren't going to let her. She's right. Like, if we're going to lower healthcare costs, we have to make America healthier. We have the highest rate of obesity um, in the South. It's well, in, in the world. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant. The highest rate of obesity, period, in the world. But in the South, it's, like, really bad. Like, we live in California, so it's not, like, we don't really see it here as badly. But, like, in other states, it's just, like, a, a huge percentage of the population is morbidly obese. Not just chubby, but morbidly obese, like, yeah. at a life-threatening level. And there's food deserts uh, where the people living in certain areas can't have zero access to fresh food fruits and vegetables um there's so many more issues than just like who's going to pay for the health care it's like we're a sick nation like we're not healthy like we need to become healthy we have to have a healthy culture yeah and then you know i, I really like that she said that yeah i mean she had a lot of great things to say i mean not even just about like the food policies and stuff like that which i thought were great but she also you know, went in deep into foreign policy in a way that, you know, I would have only expected someone like Tulsi to do. Mm -hmm. um, she got asked about how she's going to lower drug prices. And then she said that the government should have never made the deal with Big Pharma that they can never negotiate. And she said that's all part of the typical corruption that goes down in Washington with the lobbying and the corporate you yeah, know, she BS. said something like this. This is just a typical way that multinational corporations have their way with us. And mm -hmm. I was just like, Yes. Thank God, finally, someone said it. Someone said it. Um, she defines child separation at the border as kidnapping and collective child abuse. Um, she says that just because your government is doing it doesn't mean that it's not wrong. Which um, was excellent. You know, so many people are, are, I hear so many people say like, oh, you know, is that wrong or right? Well, you know, it's not illegal. You know, like that's the, the line of, morality these days for certain people i don't know if i would call it kidnapping though because 
these parents are willingly giving up their children in order for them to get a chance to get asylum in America. So I wouldn't call it kidnapping because they are offering their kids and giving them up. Um, Collective child abuse, I would say, yeah, probably because, you know, these parents are giving their children to be in the care of the American government and um, neglect is a definition of child abuse. Like these kids are definitely being neglected. They're not being taken care of. There's not enough resources to house and feed and clothe and educate these children. And they're just sitting there waiting for their court case. Yeah. And I mean, it's not, I mean, first of all, yes, there is resources to do all that, but that's not the point they're not supposed to be there long enough to need those kinds of resources. I agree. So, um, I don't know. Yeah. The, um, I think she had a, an absolutely impressive night. She had a wonderful showing despite having like the fewest questions asked of her, of anybody, I think. Um, and we have charts. And I wanted stuff. to see more of her. I think it's because of her character. Like I just was so drawn to her and I feel like maybe <laughs> that's why she got so much interest is because she yeah. was like speaking the truth. Uh, she was being super. And she just had a better, like more lovable personality than yeah. any of the other candidates could yeah. put forward. Yeah. I would love to hang out with her. um she calls for the reparations for slavery and she believes in the green new deal um i kind of agree with the reparations for slavery i think a lot of americans like don't even think about um how there's like a entire generation of black people that um, you know, live through segregation that are still alive today and they never got, and I'm, I'm sorry, they never received any compensation for, um, the slavery that their parents went through or their grandparents went through. And, um, they've, they're, they're starting at the bottom of the social ladder and the economic ladder and they weren't given anything to like help them up at all. I guess like affirmative action is, is like, like the closest thing yeah, to that reparations. Yeah, we could really say that you know we're we're doing to like remedy the situation, but but there's always going to be racial tensions in America unless and affirmative action kind of has now caused more problems. Like oh the, yeah, because Asians are angry that they have to work ten times harder to get into school yeah. that a white person can get into like more easily just because there's like a too many Asians and in, in universities. Yeah. Not that Marianne Williamson said anything about that, but, um, okay. Is there any other things that we want to touch on about the debates? Um, no, I think that's pretty much it. All right. So if you enjoyed our show and you want to keep up with us, um, we're going to post a new episode every week. We'd love to hear your feedback. Um, if you have any constructive criticism or if you want us to bring up any topics to talk about, um, you can let us know, follow us on Instagram and Twitter and like comment, subscribe, all that stuff. Yes. On YouTube, subscribe and we'll see you later. Peace. Bye.